You all ready? I'm ready. All right, let's go. Where are we going? Let's do this. We're going to Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, that's where we were. We were, yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> Phoenix, like Arizona. I have no idea where we were. <laughs> a woman on the run stops at a 12 cabin motel with showers run by a mother fixated Norman Bates. Yes, people, we are doing. That's really good. Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> okay, particulars. Particulars. Al- Sir Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. It was released to the masses on September eighth, nineteen sixty. So that may that means it's its sixtieth anniversary. We just passed. Sixty. I thought it was fifty. No, sixty. Sixty years. Dang. Sixty years. So it's produced and directed by Sir Alfred Hitchcock. This was his fifty-third film. So you know, you, it's like the ten thousand hours thing. You put in a little bit of time, and look what it gets you. So his two, the two previous films to this, he did Vertigo, which we have to do because when Vertigo came out. People were like, what the hell is this? And now people hold Vertigo as his masterpiece. So, And I have Vertigo. <laughs> you have Vertigo. So then he did, he did Vertigo. Then he did North by Northwest, which... I want to do too. Because it is so much fun. It's it's just a romp. Cary Grant. Yes. And then, so then he follows up North by Northwest, which is basically like, uh, to put it in perspective, it would be like Steven Spielberg when he did Indiana Jones or Jurassic Park, you know, just, you know, the guy, look, just making entertainment for the masses. And he follows it up with this strict black and white film called Psycho. Um, He is the master of suspense. Here are a few of the movies that, these are the movies that we've done of his. The Man Who Knew Too Much, the 19, I think, 56 version. We've done Torn Curtain, and we've done Rear Window. We're going to do so many more because he's... Torn Curtain is not one that you have to go back and see. I, it, no, but if you're a Paul Newman file, then Yes. Because it is in color. it's And it's got its moments. Remember, like, when we did the podcast, we were like, why is it so derided so much? Like, it's not that bad. Right, right. Like, it's better than you think he, if you're like... He didn't have... the. He and Julie Andrews didn't have any any kind of chemistry. No. How do you not have chemistry? Well, maybe, I would have had amazing chemistry with Bowman. Yeah, and you would probably have ruined your marriage. That's probably, probably Julie Andrews was probably like, yeah, I I have to keep my marriage together. That's just what I'm assuming. I can't be falling into these blue eyes. Well, Joanne Woodward had nothing to worry about with this one. Okay, but I digress. We are doing Psycho, not Psycho, curtain. Psycho. So... Alfred Hitchcock was six, about 61 years old when he made this film. A screenplay by Joseph Stefano. He was the producer and co-writer 
of the original The Outer Limits. He also wrote Anne of Brooklyn and The Naked Edge. So yeah, this is his claim to fame. Um, it's based on the 1959 novel Psycho by Robert Bloch. He wrote hundreds of short stories and 30 novels. He was a protege of H.P. Lovecraft. H.P. Lovecraft was the first person to seriously encourage his writing. So I think that's crazy. Um, he also wrote the novels The Kidnapper, Night World, and Strange Eons. The music is by Bernard Herrmann. These are just the scores of movies that we've done. Because Bernard Herrmann is... hes he, I don't even know what the echelon of echelon is for Bernard Herrmann. He's, he's just basically the music man. He did Citizen Kane, The Man Who Knew Too Much, Cape Fear, Torn Curtain, and Taxi Driver. And those are wow. just the films we've done. Wow. So he's done so many other films. ones. The director of photography, John L. Russell. He also did Atomic Sea, Geraldine, and Guilty of Treason. I was very surprised, but then it makes sense. I'm sure that people have this in Nerd Alerts and Tasty Nuggets. Because I was like, wow. I would have thought that he would have done other things. But there's a reason for that. Edited he by... Must have died. What? He must have died. No. Oh. Edited by George... Tomasini. I had to do because I kept hearing it in my head and I'm like, oh, Tomasini, George Tomasini. He also cut Stalag 17, Rear Window, To Catch a Thief, The Man Who Knew Too Much, Vertigo, North by Northwest, The Misfits, Cape Fear, and The Birds, just to name a few. I mean, wow. this guy, he knew a thing or two about film cutting. And also, just to say, I, I'm sure we'll get into it later, but this is film cutting. It's physical. You're taking physical pieces of film, physically cutting them, putting them together with a piece of tape, splicing them. This isn't what we're doing now on our phones and stuff and this nonlinear editing and how we can move everything around and like, oh, you don't like it? Oh, move that. No, this is physically taking the physical film and cutting it. Oh, so laborious. The cast, Anthony Perkins, he played Norman Bates. He was also in Friendly Persuasion, Fear Strikes Out, The Matchmaker, Catch-22, Ori Murder on the Orient Express, and Mahogany, which... I, what? We gotta find where we can see Mahogany, because I always want, I always want to see Mahogany. Um, nerd alert, when Anthony Perkins was 41, he married... Photographer, actress, and model Barry Bernson. They had two sons, Oz Perkins and Elvis Perkins. And sadly, Anthony Perkins, he was, I guess it would be kind to say he was bi at least bisexual because he was married and had two kids. But for pretty much all his life and everybody knew he was a homosexual man. And he died of AIDS-related complications in oh, 1992. I, I don't know that I even realized that. Really? Yeah. Like I, I probably the, did, but lost it. In the on his Wikipedia page, it said that he had never had a sexual experience with a woman until like who was the like some principal lady? She was an actress, and he was in his 
maybe late 30s at that time. So everybody kind of knew that he was gay, but but then I guess he met this woman and they 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 had kids. Well, anyways, even sadder, she ended up dying in the September 11th terrorist oh, attacks. Wow. She was in one of the planes. Oh, either the one that hit the pen. Well, no, I mean there were four of them. So. It was I. It was one of them that hit the one of the towers. Okay, because she was at Cape Cod and was returning back up to California from right. vacation. So I was like, because you know that anniversary just passed, and I was like, oh wow, jeez. Yeah. Um, he was Anthony Perkins was also forty one when he married her, and she was twenty five, but. Love is love. Janet Lee played Marion Crane. She yeah. was in Act of Violence, Little Women, The Naked Spur, 1951's Angels in the Outfield. And the movie that she did previous to this was 1958's Touch of Evil. She was also in The Manchurian Candidate, Bye Bye Birdie. She was in Harper, which we did. She was married to Tony Curtis for a little bit of time, and she gave us, I guess we can call her national treasure, Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes, I think so. I, I, I like Jamie Lee Curtis. Here's my brain-busting nerd alert. It's about okay. Janet Lee. Do you know how Janet Lee was discovered? I don't. Norma Shearer discovered Janet Lee. Remember Norma Shearer from The Divorcee? Ah, that's right. So, um, she, Norma Shearer was vacationing at a ski resort called the Sugar Bowl, or Sugar Bowl, and that was in the Sierra Madre Mountains. And there was a picture of a woman because Janet Lee's parent, like Janet Lee grew up in poverty. She was not from society at all. Her parents were poor. She was poor. They worked at a ski resort, the ski resort. And Norma Shearer saw a picture of Janet Lee that was taken by, you know, like the resort thing. And it was like up and I guess she was probably skiing and stuff and smiling. And Norma Shearer was like, wait, who is that? Oh, wow. And he and she took the picture with her back to because remember like she was married to Irv, Irving Thalberg and he died and so she still had contacts and so she took the picture back and showed it to to the high up muckety mucks and she was able to help secure a contract for Janet Lee when Janet Lee was eighteen and so wow. if it wasn't for Norma Shear being just so gobsmacked by a smiling 18 year old Janet Lee, we would not have Janet Lee in psycho and nor would we even have Jamie Lee Curtis. Right. Also that makes my later nerd alert Casey tidbit even more mind blowing. One part of it. Oh, wow. Stay tuned everyone. (laughs) Okay. Um, we have Vera miles. She played, Lila Crane, she was also in The Searchers, The Wrong Man, A Touch of Larceny, <laughs> The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, to name a few. John Gavin as Sam. We I saw love John him. Gavin oh in the day. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. He was a smoke show. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. 
He was also an imitation of life. He, I didn't think he was that great an imitation of life, I remember. But I remember, like, right. with a face like that, you don't really have to be. Yeah. He, he was also in Spartacus and Thoroughly Modern Millie. Thoroughly um, Modern Millie. He is of Chilean and Mexican descent. He was born Ooh, well. Juan Vincent Apablasa Jr. Oh, so we have a person of color. I, I guess I have to. Well, I mean... Kind of seems like he was passing. I mean, do you think? <laughs> I, like I don't, I, I, I don't know. Um, he was nerd alert. He was signed to play James Bond in Diamonds Are Forever. Like he was gonna be James because when I watched, he would have been a good James Bond. Yeah, but the head of United Artists wanted Sean Connery, and. Well, so, but there we go. Yeah, because Sean Connery was a bigger star, and so they wanted the security of the box office. And so, also, um, John Gavin is not uh, British, and that's true. <laughs> yeah, and we wouldn't have wanted to hear his British accent. No, and I, but he was definitely swaving to boner. Yeah, so he got to because he was signed, and so he. You oh, know, wow. but he still got paid. All right. Yeah, they still honored the contract. So it was like, well, I got the money, but I guess because I was always like, why wasn't this guy a huge star? But it's just crazy. That's how the world goes. Yeah. Just sliding yeah. doors and stuff. Um, he true. was the SAG president from 71 to 73. And he was the ambassador to Mexico from 1981 to 1986. He was pretty good friends with the old Ronnie. Old Ronnie Reagan. Oh. Yeah. Martin. I knew there was something negative. Yeah. It. Martin Balsam was Detector mm -hmm. Arbogast. He was in 12 Angry Men, Breakfast at Tiffany's, both the Cape Fears, and All the President's Men. That's just the movies that we've already done. This dude was in a bunch. And every 60s TV show there was. Oh, yeah. He is, like, he's the face of 60s to me. When I think yes. of, like, a 60s man, it's Martin Balsam. That's right. Frank Albertson was Tom Cassidy. He was in, he was Hee Haw in It's a Wonderful Life. Hee Haw. Remember? Oh, no. And Ma. He was also in the TV show, What's the Capital of Wyoming? Cheyenne, Cheyenne, where will you be sleeping tonight? Lonely man, lonely Cheyenne. man. I've never seen this show, but I know that song because you can't say Cheyenne without that happening. And and Sorry. you know what? You you got to join in. You you, you got to just you can't be annoyed. <laughs> You got to just let her roll. Dee hasn't gotten to that point yet, but she will. <laughs> <laughs> we have Pat Hitchcock. Yes. Sir Alfred Hitchcock's daughter. She was Caroline. Um, she's the only child of Hitchcock and his wife, Alma Ravel. She was also in Strangers on the Train and the Ten Commandments. She was the co-worker in the office. Oh, she was the one who, who went... John Gavin came in. He didn't pay any attention to her because he saw the wedding band. No, that was the the Texan, right? Yeah, exactly. She was yeah, pretty funny. She, yeah. Oh, you go ahead and say it. You're gonna. 
You were going to say something. I was going to say that she was definitely the product of her father and mother. The genes were there for that combo. Yes. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> it's rough to, to be next to Janet Lee in her prime, too. Indeed. We were Vaughn Taylor as George Lowry. He was in Cat in a Hot Tin Roof, and the Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. Matt Mills was the police officer. He was in Torn Curtain and A Touch of Evil. And Virginia Gregg, Paul Jasmine, and Jeanette Nolan were the voice of uh, Norman's mom. And the last speech was by Virginia Gregg. And I those wondered about that. Are your if particulars. it was Norman's voice or if it was... Okay. Interesting. Okay. It is time to set the table. Tini, are you taking it or you want me to? Oh, I thought you took the notes. I did take the notes, honey. Okay, I'll let you do that then. Okay. Well, we start with, but jump in. We start with dramatic music, and we have, and it's black and white, and we have horizontal lines that then turn vertical. I'm sorry, I forgot to write it down in my particulars, but this is a Saul Bass joint as well yes. with the titles, and it's, oh. and it's very yes. famous for the storyboarding and all of that kind of stuff. Sal Bass. And I even noticed. Mm -hmm. I even noticed. So that runs through the credits, and there were lots of credits. It felt like there were a lot of credits. I felt like it was setting the table, though, because it, it was very, like, um, do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Like, you were just mm -hmm. on edge and, and stuff. It was and very like, on edge. Oh, and, and then things just changed directions real fast, you know? From the horizontal to the vertical. Yay. I took symbolism with that. Oh. Uh-huh. Then we have a cityscape. And I was trying to figure out what city it was. But I found out later. It's Friday, December 11th at maybe 4.43 p.m. And we see a window. Then we see a woman in bed and a man getting dressed. The woman was Janet Lee Marion somebody crane and, and crane and john gavin who is sam in this and they were having a little lunch break as it were a little tryst a tryst she was um rather seductress in in her white bra and slip mm -hmm. was that the like madonna bra like what it, was the deal with the the conage Okay, this is what I, when I first went bra shopping as a young girl, uh, you would have dressing rooms and you would go in and try them on. And there was a woman, it, this was in the 60s, a woman in a, the next dressing room who said, oh my God, I look like the front of a Cadillac because she was so pointy. <laughs> that's what bras looked like then. Was that just the style? Like, yeah. That's what everybody wanted their boobs to be like combed? Pointed. Yeah, pointed. And but she had crisscross action going on in the back, which was interesting. Okay. Um and she's saying to Sam, this is the last time. So right away I'm assuming they are having an affair. One of them is married, if not both. Yes. Cuz they're talking a lot about how their relationship is a secret and she doesn't want it to be a secret anymore. And she's not going to just do these afternoon trysts with him. She wants him to take her out to a real place. Um, 
And finally, he says, all right, I want to see you even if I have to see you respectably. And he starts talking about his ex-wife. So why is he taking her out to dinner? I think it's that weird thing with it being the, the 60s and stuff. So I think that Sam... Like Sam's unavailable. I think, like from the the first scene, it's not he's he's been divorced. He's not married. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's not married, but he's paying his wife a whole bunch of alimony, and he had a whole lot of other debts, and so because oh, okay. getting divorced is really expensive. Wait, I have to say, I looked into alimony. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of messed up. I don't know. I don't know that I agree with it. Oh, keep talking. We're we're on tape. Keep going, Christine. (laughs) And this is now uh, in our archives. But back in the day, Teeny, when women didn't have outside professions, then right, right. But if you have your yes, yeah. Uh, Well, that's why you have to have prenups. You failed to do that, Ooh. so we get your money. <laughs> Lucky you. Well, I'm saying, because there's nothing to get out of him, so you didn't need a prenup on that side. Well, anyway. so, so, yeah. So, so, yeah, he was divorced, but he was waiting for her to get married again, or, like, it seemed like maybe the divorce wasn't finalized or something. And he didn't have, because he, he grabs her at one point. And he's like, what are you going to do? You're going to live with me in the shack behind the store? Like, yeah. that's no kind of a life. So he's kind of poor, you know, trying to put his, rebuild his money, put it back to get, get, get those stacks of stacked <laughs> again. And um, I guess he feels like he can't, financially give her the life that she wants but it's kind of weird because there are like together still and she has the quote people who meet in hotel rooms still pay and so yeah like she's probably been paying for the room right but it was a cheap room it reminded me of um the beginning of um the young philadelphians that that was the whole premise of uh, Paul Newman's mother marrying the richer guy, even though she was in love with the guy who had nothing. And then, okay, yeah, so a whole like the whole but status. But either way, yeah, they're right doing it in the afternoon in a hotel room. Exactly. <laughs> and she says, "Oh, Sam, let's get married." And he pulls away from her. Then she's back at work, and at um, what you assume is a Texan. Um, man, middle-aged to older man comes in. A Southwest man. Southwest man of means. um, With everything that comes with that in the 60s. Oh, Uh, this guy is enjoying... Talk about me too. He is enjoying Mm -hmm. life to the fullest. It is fantastic to be this man. (laughs) Like, in the 60s, he's rich, white, straight, I already mentioned Rich again. He right. can get away with and do whatever he not, he's wants. He's not ugly. He's not attractive, but he's not ugly. He's so, ugly. He's ugly. I he's ugly. Well, especially when his personality starts. He he in. does. Yeah, yeah, he has this move. In, I'll get to it. My reheatables where it, every time I see it, it does make me laugh. <laughs> okay, because it's so creepy. Uh, 
Well, he uh, she works for a uh, realty office. After just watching my three seasons of Selling Sunset. Wah, wah. Oh, so you're an expert in in real estate now. Yeah, and as well as the lives of those people, so much to God, talk about, but not I today. Know, yeah. Um, I know. I don't love Kevin as much cringy. as I used. Yeah, it was a little cringy. I couldn't keep up. Okay, um, he's saying tomorrow my baby's getting married. She's 18 years old, and I'm buying her a house as a wedding gift. And um, and the I think uh, Janet Lee goes. I declare, and he goes, actually, I don't. That's how I can buy this house for $42,000 in cash. That's one of the, I always think of this movie with that, like, I declare. And then in my head, it's like, I don't. That's why I'm rich. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, can we back up for a second? Uh Uh-huh. I'm sorry. When she came in, when Janet Lee came in, she was like, I have a headache. And (laughs) the other girl... I don't know her name. That was at the desk. Caroline. Caroline. Um, she was like, oh, do you need some medicine? And well, then Janet Lee was like, well, headaches are just like resolutions. The minute you forget them, the minute you forget them, the minute they stop hurting. And I was like, that's true. Um, but I'm sorry. Did Caroline say she just took tranquilizers? <laughs> yes, I have okay. it. I have it written down. And she has them to share. She says, "Like that sounds like my kind of office." Well, because she goes into this whole thing, and she was like, "Oh, Teddy was furious when he found out I took tranquilizers," and she's referring to her wedding day, (laughs) which is, she said, the best decision she She ever ever made. made. I was like. (laughs) Just lay there and let it happen. It's like, okay. I mean, and what are these? These are 1960s tranquilizers. Because so they, well, it's... And they also talked about it in Alphaville. They were taking tranquilizers. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah. Like, 60s in Valium. I mean, Valium was big. And every housewife had Valium. It wasn't every housewife also on speed. Like, it, it was diet. Wait, what was Mommy's Little Helper? <laughs> Mommy's little helper was the Valium. Oh. But she would have to take that after taking probably um, Slenderizer, some kind of... Uh, Methamphetamine. Uh, right. Yeah. It was sold over the counter as a as a diet aid. So, yeah, then she'd have to take her Valium with her alcohol at 5 o'clock in the evening to be able to come down. I can't... I You know, it's 9 a.m. over here, and I'm drinking a G&T, so... I'm not going to cash dispersions on anyone. However, I would like to point out that 1960s tranquilizers must have been wild. Yeah. Yeah. Just wild. Just probably like just straight method, like uh, heroin or something. Right. And so imagine what 1960s diet aids were. Those were straight. Just cocaine and meth. Yeah. Yeah. And then you All drink right. some Coca-Cola with the cocaine. Okay. I wish it still had it. It's <laughs> supposed to be a little bit quieter. <laughs> we have so much on this tape, Erin. This one goes in the vault. This is the cycle is the classic. This is this well, is collateral. I when um on my favorite murder this week, 
Um, hello to Karen in Georgia, if you're listening. Oh, oh, hello. Love you guys. talking about if they, their, their diaries and if they die, or their computers. They were like, when I die, the computer just gets completely burn it. <laughs> right. Nobody can ever see it. Just like throw like, it into the sea. Throw it into the ocean. Especially my search engine. Black actors under 20. Black actors under 30. Dark black actors under 40. Okay. Dark black. All right. So he needs, he's going to give her $42,000. Did you did you do the math on what that is now? Yes. Um, $311,240.54. That's a nice wow. chunk of change. Wow. So and, that'll buy you a nice house and like, well, in Phoenix, that'll be a nice house. It would be a nice house. You you can't get you can't get a little stucco hut in uh, North Hollywood for that. But yeah, no, yeah. Or uh, you could get a parking spot in New York City for that. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, she she has a bit of a headache, so she'd like to go home right after work. Right after she goes to the bank to deposit the forty two thousand dollar cash. In and in because for. because the Al- the Albertson guy he was a he, again because the world is his playground the, the boss Lowry says um could you give us a check instead of cash and he's like no nah, cash because that's how rich I am I want to pay in mm-hmm. cash and right. so the Lowry guy is like but we don't like look at this place like. And so that's why he tells her, he's like, all right, you can go, but you need to go deposit it because I don't want this money sitting in here. Like, that's a lot of money. This guy is like, look at him. Just just cash. Why why can't you give us a check? It's so much easier. And Caroline is going to run her mouth telling everybody she she sees. There's $42,000 in cash in the office. You know she's going down to the office, which is really the bar, and she's going to get slashed on her tranquilizers, and all of a sudden she's going to be all gabbing about how there's forty grand over at Lowry's. That was a bad stereotypical thing for a woman but we'll move on okay well so we have her leaving the office with the forty-two thousand in cash going to the bank and the next scene is her at home with all the money on the bed yeah in the envelope yeah that we, didn't we didn't go to the bank on her way home. we didn't go to the bank and then we see a suitcase now is this when she's in her underwear again because she's yes, like packing black. but it's black now because yes. earlier so smart. it was white and now like she's breaking bad so now she's in her black underwear see i didn't make that connect i just went oh now we're in black lingerie well i always have a thing where like my superstition when i was in high school playing basketball was that my black sports bra that's game day like black underwear is game day attire. To be riding the pine. <laughs> yeah. To be sitting down. Gotta have your game day Gotta, shit yeah. on to ride the pine. I, I felt good. I felt sleek and ready to go. There you go. For your for your Just thirty sitting. seconds of playing time. Um then she's getting important papers. She keeps staring at the money. Um, and then she puts it in her purse. 
she takes her coat, her suitcase, and her purse, and she leaves, and she's driving up north. And we have lots of scenes of her in the driver's seat with the steering wheel. And the score. And as she's doing that, she is imagining Sam's voice when when she has this imagining, um, you know, she's daydreaming of when she meets up with him because she's not supposed to go where he is. And but she, she, yeah, and she doesn't blink. No, right. And um, so there's a daydream of what Sam's going to say. Then she's at a stoplight, and um, the the Texan and her boss cross the street in front of her, and she sees her boss, and it's like a, a smile, and then she realizes, oh shit, and then and he sees her, and it's like wait, I thought you were going home. You had a headache. This is odd. And the, one of the greatest music cues, just how the, the score just burst in at that. The same thing, because the audience, because the audience knows when they see the guy and like, oh, no, that's bad. And it's that whole like, oh, but then it cuts back and it's the slow, as it dawns on Lowry, like, the second yeah. and then the, the score comes in and you're instantly just I, okay the first time that I ever saw this film I didn't know I was in high school and it was the AFI stuff had come out and I I knew about the shower scene and stuff and like psycho but I didn't I didn't know anything else about it so I put this movie in I'm watching it in my room it was nothing like what I expected it to be. And yet I was on edge. Like when she's driving, I'm like, why am I so nervous? This is just a woman who's just driving and thinking of things. And then when the guy turns around, I was just like, I got so freaked. And I'm just like, this movie is nothing, nothing like what I thought it was going to be. So if you've gotten to this point and you haven't seen Psycho, you need to just Stop listening to us because we're going to spoil it for you. And you need to, even if you've seen the shower scene or think you know what it is, like you need to just watch this movie because it's not like what you thought it was going to be. Not at all. Even this time watching it, I went, I don't remember that beginning at all. And then I thought the shower scene was like the end of the movie. Yeah, me too. No. So, yeah. And as he's turning around going, what the, she, her face is going, oh shit, he just saw me here in the car. He's going to put this together. Okay. She looks panicked. He looks confused. She keeps driving and she's falling asleep and you actually see her eyes closing as she's driving. So the next scene was nice that she had pulled over and gone to sleep instead of wrecked. And a police officer comes to the window Aaron or Titi described the police officer. That was at first. I thought, is she dreaming him? Cause it was such a caricature. Yeah, Look. it was. I don't know how to describe it. Well, but... well, it's Joe Biden's sunglasses. Well, yeah, it's it's a classic aviators, and Hitchcock has always had a uh, thing like he he was on it. He always had a fear of authority, like very skeptical and kind of fear of of authority and especially cops because when he was little, 
like like probably maybe five or something. I could have the specifics mixed up, but his his mom did one of those like Arrested Development kind of uh, parenting moves on him that like really messed him up. I think he either did something or he didn't do anything, but his mom had a cop like basically arrest him and tell him this is what happens to bad little boys and he was terrified and so he's always had a fear of cops Ah. and so this cop is i mean and it's kind of funny that like you know we watch it now and there's a certain segment of the population where that's already ingrained into us like the cops coming and some people will watch it and see like, oh, the cops coming to help her and check her out. And like, I see it and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is very, oh no. I mean, I'm so confused by it because I thought the cop was going to murder her the whole time. Right? So, so the, that just to it's just Yeah, it's just to, to because. It's totally intimidating. Well, yeah, because one thing, like she is now a criminal because she has stolen $40,000 right. worth of money. But he was money. also a creep and stalking her. Yeah, so he, well, so, well, she was pulled off the, it was a, a car on the side of the road, and you could tell that either he saw it on highway patrol or somebody else called it in right. and was like, hey, there's a car out here. Because you have to think, 1960s, the Southwest, there, it, it's not like how it is now where there's a lot of stuff. Like, there, it was space between things, like a lot of open space. So a car just to be out there. So he, the car, pulls in and he knocks on the window and he just has that intimidating like just the scary cop he's got the dark aviator sunglasses that pretty much take up his entire face he's got you know no lips looking at you (laughs) and basically knocking on the door and she her reaction is is just it it scares me every time just how she like zooms up and and just how her face ends up in the frame and her eyes are all big and so the cops like you know what are you doing and she was like I was driving and I started to get sleepy and so I thought I did the responsible thing and I pulled over to the side of the road and cuz even before she starts turning the car like to get out and the cops like whoa what are you in the hurry for and she says because I overslept I didn't mean to sleep so long and you're you're just like very nervous and you're like well she at least she's a white woman she's got that going for her That's right what now I thought too. Yeah. and then especially when the the guy asks for her um information and she turns her back and goes in her purse and i'm just like wow look what she gets to do she gets to like turn her back to a cop and reach into a bag and she got to be snarky with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, pulls out her license and stuff while hiding the fact that she's taking out this money that she's stolen. And the cop kind of, I don't really understand what the cop does because I don't know what license looked like in the 60s because he takes her license and he walks in front and looks at the. It might have been her registration and he was checking her license plate. Yeah, he against the registration. Oh, yeah. and then he just like gives it back to her, and she takes off driving. And then you see him like continue to follow her, and you're just like, oh man, because she says, "I didn't intend to sleep so long, but I haven't broken any laws, right? So I'm free to go, right?" 
Well, wouldn't that put you on edge right there? Obviously, you're trying to avoid me. Okay. And, she go, and she go he says, you know, it's not safe for you to just sleep here. There are a whole bunch of motels. It's safer for you to go into a motel. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that's no, crazy how it was actually yeah. safer for her to just be sleeping in her car on the side of a freeway. Right. Then she goes, I'm in a hurry, and you're taking up my time. Sass. And so she drives, she drives off. I mean, yeah. But the police car follows her, and she's freaking out. She's spending way too much time looking in her rearview mirror. Shit could be happening in front. And finally, he exits, and so she thinks she's on easy street. So she goes to a used car lot, because now she got to trade in that car. I just wanted to, it just occurred to me now that like that's pretty much what happened to Sandra Bland, except it went horribly wrong. Because the cop pulled her over, and she was agitated. And this Marion Crane, she's agitated. Mm -hmm. And the cop just like, just like, oh, okay, I'll keep an eye on you. And then the other, you know, escalated, and we know how that ended. So it's exactly. just. Exactly. Um, okay, so she's at the car lot. She buys a newspaper looking to see if there's anything about the missing funds. And the policeman I from before... that was a little bit, a little bit presumptuous on her account because it is Phoenix. I don't... Would that make the news? Right. The newspaper? Right. And, and at this point, she's in California, you know, because all the used cars she's looking at have California plates. And it's California Charlie or whatever his name is. Um, so the policeman just stays across the street staring at her. Outside the car, like leaned yeah, With up. his arms crossed. Yeah, he's very, basically stalking her. And the car salesman's going, is somebody chasing you? And she has to go to the restroom because she has to take out her wad of money and get out her $700 for her new Ford Falcon. Oh, that's what it was? No, I think it was a fair lane, actually. Um, and then the policeman pulls into the dealership, and she just drives off, but they're yelling at her because she had forgotten to take her suitcase out of the old car. She was then acting she, real suspicious. Really suspicious. Um, then she's driving off, but she's thinking about the men's conversations that the the police officer and and the used car dude and then how people at work would be calling and talking about her and did she um she was thinking about calling her sister she it shows driving hearing voices driving hearing voices it starts to rain it's nighttime the road is dark she sees a sign for the Bates Motel, so she stops. She goes into the Bates Motel office, and there's nobody there, but she sees this huge house in the background that is still on the Paramount lot, right? Universal, yeah, the background. Universal. Uh, she sees a shadow in the window. Um, she gets in her car and blows her horn really aggressively, and young dude comes out. And he's trying to decide which cabin to put her in. And he puts her in number one. Never get the room by the office. Oh, because of this. Because, because of, of this. this. There's a peephole. Um, 
uh, cabin one, Norman is very nervous. Um, he sort of is, appears to be on the spectrum before there was a spectrum. He does, but I have to say, I, I, I found, I always found Anthony Perkins very pretty in this movie. Like, he was just very attractive. Yes, a, 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 just a young, attractive guy with what can become what, what can be a very endearing personality, but then it can shift really fast. Yeah, horizontal to vertical really fast. Um, and how his his I don't know what it's called, but you know, like where your eyebrows are, and how some people it really protrudes over that, and like how his under certain lighting sometimes they would light him and that that would cast like just a shadow over his eyes so like the light would hit like you know where his eyebrows are and then that would cast so his eyes were dark but the rest of his face was lit and i wondered if that's one of the reasons why alfred hitchcock casts him because his face could do that thinking about that light and shit um he asks her to have dinner with him and she agrees. I mean, that was just creepy. Well, well, first okay. off, she was like, is there anywhere? Where can I get some food? I'm starving. And, like, the closest restaurant was, like, 20 miles away or something. It's true. Mm-hmm. And it was pouring rain. And it was like, well, what's the point of stopping here if you're going to go back out? Yeah. And he said he made sandwiches. So it's true. I, when it's I true. heard that, I was like, I might have gotten got. He might have gotten Min- me on he the sandwiches. milk and sandwiches. But okay, I'm hungry. I'm going to eat something. I'm curious. Okay. I'm like, what kind of sandwiches are you making? And But in my head, I would be, but I'm a, I'm a good guest. So I, I in my head, I'm like, well, what kind of bread are we talking about? Is this like it looked straight like up it really, white bread? Or? It wasn't a worthy sandwich. It was a hap- It was one piece of Wonder Bread with one slice of Kraft cheese on it that's not even real cheese. I'm well, just saying. That's what all the bars are serving here. Though. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's the thing. Is that? Oh, I'm sorry. That's charcuterie. At this yeah, point. sometimes that's sometimes <laughs> that's all you want. Um, then he had opened the wi- the back windows of her room. <laughs> oh, can you hear that? <laughs> yeah. Evidently, Adam is ready for Adam. a cup of coffee. And he hears mother and uh, Norman having an argument. Mother is saying, why did you let that hussy in here? And um, you can't bring her into my house. I don't know who this woman is. Right. And she can hear all of it, which is awkward. Yeah. And because also because the house is really far away. So I'm like, what are the acoustics of this place going? Uh, but she was kind of amused by it. I mean, well, I mean, the mom kind of does have a point in in that, like Marion probably should have been thinking more along the lines of the mom, which I know it's it's like Aaron, what what the fuck are you talking about? That's nuts. Just in that, the mom's point of view is like, who is this woman? She's a hussy. I don't know who she is. Don't bring her in my house. And Marion right. kind of should have been like, I don't know who these people are. Like, right. the same they kind of... They don't get murdered. Yeah, exactly. Fuck politeness. So Norman brings the food down, and she invites him into her room, and he's like, you know, I think it would be nicer and warmer in the office. And, and so she was, and the like, first... tickled by his 
um, naivete. Yeah, because the first time you watch it, you think to yourself, oh, look at him being like, like not wanting to go into the into her room uh -huh. because it would be improper and he doesn't want to put himself in that kind of position. So he's like, why don't we come into here? Oh, why don't we sit in, th in the parlor? Yeah, the problem is it's not just an office. There's a parlor, parlor off the office. Yeah. When was the last time you heard parlor? That is filled with dead birds that stuffed I birds. personally have stuffed. Which yeah. I read somewhere is a a euphem euphemism because or, in Britain, like stuffing birds, that's a, that's like for sex because birds are women. So if you stuff birds, oh yeah, wow. so it's like a, a vulgar kind of British like stuffing birds. Wow. Okay. And yeah. there's so many birds and stuff, which. I think maybe his next film was The Birds. It, it kind of makes yeah. sense because you're like, dude, yeah. what's your thing with birds? Yeah. And then he says, you eat like a bird. Well, you gave me a piece of Wonder Bread with a piece of Kraft cheese on it. So. But I do believe he also brought her like bread and butter, bread, butter and cheese. I might have gotten got. But also, I... I think birds actually eat a lot. I think I read somewhere that that's... Yeah, it came up in this. Okay, that's right. Yeah, he said, actually, birds eat a lot. Oh, that's what happened. He said that. Okay. Yeah. Um, my hobby is stuffing things, you know, taxidermy, but it's actually more than a hobby. And then, so she's going, I'm sorry I got you in trouble, you know, like, we're going to talk about your bitch of a mother. And he goes... A boy's best friend is his mother. Ooh. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> Could get awkward. <laughs> I'm giving Teeny such a look. Um, so then they're talking about trapping things, and I think we're all in our private traps, but we can't all get out. And then he starts describing his mother, um, you know, all the bad things she's been through and her boyfriend and how he had to go. Um, I started a quote, if you love someone, you don't, but it moved on. And I didn't, I, I didn't that quote. I, didn't, I thought maybe one of you would have my back on that. So one. if you love someone, you let well, them go. And if they don't, because she, she suggests maybe um, putting mother somewhere because mother obviously has a few uh, issues, emotional issues due to everything she's been through. So maybe he was saying, if you love someone, you don't get rid of them or something. Okay. Hey, look at that uh, research. <laughs> and he says she's as harmless as one of those birds. At this point, she is seeing both sides of him. She's seeing his kind side, and then she sees him getting a well, little. Well, yeah, whack because whack. when he when she says, uh, "Well, maybe you know you should you know put her someplace," like she doesn't even say institutionalized. She's just like you know someplace, and he leans up in his chair, and he's just like his whole face changes. He gets super serious. He no longer looks pretty. He looks menacing, like. Uh, and in that documentary, the 7852 documentary um, by Alexandra O. Felipe, because 
that that documentary it's on hulu it's great but they elijah wood is on it and they like a group of him and his friends are like is that the moment that he decides to kill her because he just gets mm. real still and everything mm. changes. Well, if you then what happens later? Yeah, that would be the moment because that would be. If you haven't watched it in a while, turn us off and watch it now because we're gonna ruin everything. Um, but that uh, he he was mother, so that would be the point where mother's going. Oh, you want to get rid of me? But then also, like, what the psychologist says at the end is how, like, because he was so jealous of his mother, and that's why, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. he they both had to, he and his, the mom's boyfriend had to go. So Everybody then, had to go. So then because of that, it was it would have been reciprocal. So then in his mind, like, his, his mom, because he was genuinely attracted, because it is Janet Lee, and she's nice. She's being nice to him. She's eating and talking with him. He doesn't, nobody is like coming by at all. He's like lonely and this gorgeous woman comes in and is actually being nice. So of course he's going to be like, oh, who is this? And so then the mother inside his head instantly gets as jealous as he did of the boyfriend. And so then he's like, got to go. There, there are no similarities with my son and me with this, Tina. You don't have to worry about this. <laughs> Uh, he's not gonna wear a wig and put on a kimono and just no. go around oh, maybe he'll put on my kimono i'm gonna will my kimono to him <laughs> uh he says she just gets a little mad sometimes Can I see Adam walking around with a, kimono and a, wig one morning? a blonde wig actually i have the blonde wig i <laughs> a kimono Oh, Christmas. Halloween! Remind me with a thing of gin. <laughs> Let's not forget. <laughs> Just rocking a really long straw because I'm gonna be too weak to pick it up. At this point, I wrote, "Get the hell out of there!" When he's going, she just gets a little mad sometimes. Have you? Have any of you all stayed at one of those kinds of motels? Mm -hmm. Like the? Have you? That was the '60s. I yeah. Know. I used to call them a pretty little house because, yeah, we stayed it. I, I specifically remember, like, the scaredest I ever was on my cross-country trip with Evan was when we were in Shamrock, Texas, and it was one of the, these, like, motels, and, it, you know, just, like, a shitty room in the middle of nowhere, and... You were in there, and for some reason, he put on forensic files, and I think that's the last time I've ever seen forensic files, because it was this episode where the the husband went to sleep, and his wife was, and was like, dead beside her, and I, like, I, like, and we both were legitimately freaked out, didn't sleep, like, as soon as the sun came up, we're, like, on the road because we just were, like, this place is so freaking scary. Well, when I was in middle school, I went on a um, trip with church. I knew it was going to be a church trip. <laughs> I knew it. And knew it. they had us staying at every town we went to. You would stay, it was like you and one other person would stay with a family from the yes. church. Yes. Which is so 
creepy yes. looking back at it. Yes. We had that too. Yeah. Oh my God. Like my parents let me stay with strange yes. people. Yes. Yeah. We even did that in Germany when when Aaron was a baby and we traveled to Holland to see the tulips. We stayed with a family. I mean, that was a little more vetted. Well, and but, you're an adult. Yeah. But still well, I mean, wait, anything, did you leave? Did you and my dad like leave me with this family and go out on the Amsterdam? No, no this was not. This was not uh, Switzerland when we did leave you with the the help. But Poppy wanted to stay with you in the help. So okay, back to the movie. She she was going to have a long drive in the morning she had decided she was going to go back to phoenix and make it all right she was going to go back and and fix her so was this the com like so she had the conversation with norman bates and that was what made her say you know what it's just yeah i'm just gonna she was scared of him yeah yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna write some wrongs so she goes to her room and this is the first time we see the peephole where he can watch yeah. her, of course. This is where I said never stay next to the office. Mm-hmm. Although if you saw Casino Royale, there wasn't a room you could stay at that was safe there. Anyway. What kind of underscores was she wearing this time? She still had on her black, didn't she? I th- I believe so. Yes, I, th- I, I think so. Um. He goes outside, and it's like he's marching up to the big house because he's going to tell off his mother because, you know, she's a good person. And the interior of his house is straight out of a uh, an antebellum. Yeah, it's very just creepy very vibes. Is that what very, it is? It's just, I just look at that, and no offense to anyone, I just think white creepiness. Like it's, it's interesting because uh, okay, we'll discuss I, yeah, it later. But, but I know that I know I know like I mean like as I think about it I'm like oh, I have seen but you know there isn't a picture of Martin Luther King anywhere so no no I or John, F. John Kennedy. F Kennedy well he or was Robert Kennedy John F Kennedy was wasn't president yet he was running right um, it was just, it, and you do have some relatives who do enjoy Vic, old Victorian furniture. Yeah, but that's just, it's just. I know, you got a lot to pick from pretty soon. Well, probably not pretty soon. <laughs> she's figuring out what she spent because it looks like she is trying to figure out how much money she has left to give back and what she's going to have to do to make up for what she spent. And then she rips that whole not, paper. Yeah, she's, she's, look, she's a, she's a young, nice white lady. She's not going to jail. She, even when she's writing it, she's not like, how am I going to not go into jail? How am I going to afford an yeah, attorney? It's no, not even she, in her mind. It's just uh-uh. she's going to return. She's going to be like, uh, my bad. I, I, I yeah. got ahead I of myself. I had a moment. Here you go. Yeah. I'll pay this so, back. We're, we're all squares. So she's coming back, and you know the boss would have taken her back. She rips up her figurine page, and she flushes it. And well, she was going to throw it away, but then she thought, oh, like, you know, she kind of 
it's kind of crazy because in moments she does have this kind of almost murderino mind where she's like, mm-hmm. oh, no, can't. That's evidence. Got to get rid of it. Let me flush it down the toilet. Then she's going to go take her shower to completely wash herself of all of her sins. To the next day, go back and make everything right. And that doesn't happen. This is only halfway through the movie. And yeah, the the shower scene happens. Okay, this is this has been I forgot, but this has been forty eight minutes. Yeah, I went eight minutes longer than I was supposed to. And pretty much, wow. people go watch the movie, come back to us. Because another half of the movie still happens. I had forgotten about the other half of the movie. So yes, please do. Okay, our POC count. I'm going with one for John Gavin, who is actually Hispanic. I'm going with none Latino. because he's Latino. He's John Gavin, and it's not. I mean, he is in it, but you have to like do research and look I at would it never and, have, and know I would it. Never so he's presenting placed. as as white. It's not like right. in the movie, people are like, "Ha, ah, look at Juan, man." No, which is sad he's gorgeous, because he's a gorgeous white man. Yeah. Okay, that was the only person of color, though. We didn't see any others. Yeah, black people do not exist in this, and they don't want to. Be, well, because yeah. they would have been dead first. It, it, exclude me from this conversation. Well, I don't know if Norman Bates would have rented the hotel room. Truth be told, like, well, are we true. sure about even that? Like, this that's is true. one of those cases where it could have saved, like, hey, honk, honk, and nobody's coming out. It's just like, all right, then fuck y'all. Where, what does the green book say? Where are we going? Uh, yeah, she wouldn't, you, yeah, wouldn't even have stopped there. Okay. Nerd alerts. All right, well, let me set the table for 1960 first. Okay. Okay, so. 1960, I was eight years old. You were you were a little eight. You're you probably adorable, ma, with your little blonde hair, probably buck teeth. Did you have buck? Oh teeth? yeah, I had the rabbit teeth going on, and I thought I was pretty hot shit. Truth be told, I think you looked like you in your young pictures. I think you looked like a blonde Drew Barrymore. I think so too. And I think I acted a lot like her as well. <laughs> so you had a raging drug problem at 10. <laughs> no. If I had known, yes. I would have. <laughs> if I had access, I would have. But I, no, I didn't. Okay. Okay. So in, in November of 1959, the In Cold Blood murders happened. And that was yes. when the Herbert Clutter family was murdered in Tex- in Kansas. And yes. that was like a whole to do because that that wasn't in a big city. It was this whole family that was just completely murdered. And Truman Capote and Harper Lee went there and then he wrote In Cold Blood. And in Cold, I think the book came out in 1966. And yeah. OK, so that's when that's when horror evil could come to small town. Yeah, it was when that, like maybe y'all need to start locking your doors. It's yeah. like, um. Yeah, it's not just a city thing, and it's not just, it can, like, craziness is, like, crazy is crazy. Um, the first Playboy Club opened. The birth control pill came out. Yeah, that was, that Shout was out to that. huge. 
that was said, huge for 60s and 70s and the sexual revolution and that's huge uh, for me <laughs> like, well yeah and uh, the changing of every, feminism because finally women could control whether they were going to have that baby or not yeah because yeah. it wasn't like it was up to women to even control whether they could have sex because you if you were married like you just had to have it like right your because that was your job yeah and so then you had no control over if you're having a kid whereas now you could take this pill and be like all right well at least mm -hmm. anything can happen and i'm not gonna have a kid that can we take a moment here can we just have a moment uh for ruth bader ginsburg who was fought for all of our our yes. rights oh man oh i needed her to last just a few more months you, but okay I, I know that she tried so hard i know she did too Just, she did she gave us everything she could rest in peace ruth bader ginsburg okay thank you go back all right so nerd alert I'm gonna, i've uh, started stockpiling my birth control pills so uh, <laughs> that's scary i did my entire like senior thesis on that on birth control and I'm looking back on it I'm like I can't believe my mom wasn't like worried about me because <laughs> I was in high school doing <laughs> but that's maybe that that's good your mom control. is yeah your yeah, mom is like just proud. yeah geez that's great <laughs> um Lucy and Desi Arnaz so I love Lucy you know they were America's first couple they were like the Jay-Z and Beyonce really yeah they they were but but they were a mixed couple before that was a th I mean he was mm -hmm. Cuban mm -hmm. so that was that was big and they they announced they were getting divorced so I remember I didn't know I was I love Lucy it was like my favorite and I didn't know the, that they broke up for a long time and I was heartbroken yeah. <laughs> found out like like 50 years later and you're like what? yeah, I got it too. yeah. Yes. he was such a player heartbroken yeah i know <laughs> it's i feel like i found that out the same year i felt like the spice girls broke up and i was just like oh yeah what a rough year yeah <laughs> and then 2020 <laughs> was like excuse me hold yeah. my beer <laughs> yeah. yeah you thought that was rough <laughs> you yeah. thought Buckle up buttercup um okay then some of the movies from 1959, Some Like It Hot, Suddenly Last Summer, and Anatomy of a Murder. So it's really easy for us to look at Psycho now because we've had 60 years of cinema since then. But, you know, you have to think of what movies were like before Psycho and how you hadn't, the audience hadn't seen anything like this. So how revolutionary and radical something like this was. Um... February 4th, we had in Greensboro, North Carolina, four black students from the University of North Carolina Ar Ar Agricultural and Technical State University. They did a sit-in at Woolworth's lunch counter. So that kind of like kicked off a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, Joanne Woodward, shout out, got her uh, Hollywood Walk of Fame thing. Oh, it was her star on the yeah. walk of fame? Because they also, both of them, had one cement in the Grauman's Chinese Theater. Oh, well, in 1960, when I saw it, I was like, we got to shout out Joanne Woodward. Yes, we do. 
I mean, like she she landed Paul Newman. Like, come on, like, and she held on to him geez. through the whole thing. Three thousand five hundred soldiers were sent to Vietnam. This was nineteen sixty. Um, just the beginning. Here's something interesting. In the 1960 census, all people from Latin America were listed as white. And that even included black people from the Dominican Republic. It included wow. like people from Argentina. They were all white. And Mexicans were white. So I'm just like, huh, how did that work? Like, if you're from the Dominican Republic, it's like you speak Spanish. No, you're white. I'm like... All right, try telling that to like a loan officer. Excuse right, me, sir. Right. <laughs> um, to your bank in Burbank. Yeah. So, and when this movie came out in September, this was before the election. So, this was um, big Kennedy versus Nix- Nixon. Mm-hmm. That was the big thing. Eisenhower was the. Uh, yeah, Eisenhower president. was in. Yeah. There was a bunch of stuff with Sputnik. So this was a very like 1960, and they talk about it in that in the documentary, um, how it was a very big like turning point, and things were yes. kind of starting to change, and how Hitchcock was very kind of really ahead of his time, and just not so much ahead of his time, but I think he just understood people and humans and how nuts and crazy humans are and that like it's probably not gonna go very well like there's a lot of stuff that's uh, that is bubbling under and I feel like in the 1960s when at least to me when I look back on it people are just like man this is so great like we beat Nazis and we have, we have birth control. We have all of this stuff, and it's and it's like, excuse me, brown people and black people. Like, excuse me, you're you're in the way. Like, get, yeah, get in Sorry your place. For you, but it's really good know for your me place. Right now. But this is like, like a look. At, I have a house. I have a car, and just and because there was a lot of like the Ozzy and Harriet and right the suburbs. Father knows best, and like all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff were. You know, Donna the, Reed show. Yeah, the mom's just like she's not doing anything. She's except taking care of. I mean, not doing anything in that she's just like she's doing she everything. Vacuum in pumps. Yeah, and a shirtwaist dress. And taking care of everything. And she's not allowed to like go out and do anything she wants to pursue. It's just no. But she takes that little. Valium every yeah. and it, and but then you can tell like underneath like that's all a facade that's just what you like what people want it to be and in reality it's like all the stuff that has always been there mm-hmm. just and it's still just like crusting bubbly and Hitchcock's like yo this is gonna crack and all this stuff is just gonna bubble up and y'all ain't ready for it yeah okay is that the end of your nerd alerts? Those are, yeah, because I know Teeny has like four pages. I do. Excellent. All right. Because I have none. Now you guys can buckle up. Um, buckle up. <laughs> so I am maybe just a dummy and don't know things because I didn't know a lot of these. Teeny, you are the smartest person in our family. <laughs> in our family. <laughs> So, I did not know that this entire movie was based off of Ed Gein. So, wait, wait. 
Oh. Based off of what? Ed Gein. Ed Gein, the murderer. So what? You didn't know that? Yeah. I don't know this. Tell me, tell me. So I listened to a podcast called Inside Psycho on Wondery, and I recommend it. It's, I believe, six episodes. And so Ed Gein was a man in... Where, hold, please. Where was he from? Um, Plainfield, Wisconsin. And basically, like, he grew up with this mom who was extremely religious. And she always would talk to her, like, talk to her sons. He had a brother about, like, how bad the world was, the evil of drinking. Um, She believed that all women, except for herself, of course, were naturally promiscuous and instruments of the devil. Um, and she, every afternoon, she would read the Bible to them. Um, and she would, like, take verses from the Old Testament about death and murder and divine retribution. And so, like, that's what he was working with as a mom. Um, and so, basically, like, everybody in his family died except for it was him, him his mom, and his brother. And one day he and his brother were like working on the farm and a fire broke out. So Ed went to find help. And by the time they got back and put the fire out, they couldn't find the brother. And then they found him. Um, But then it was later, like they learned that like the brother had died before the fire, but nothing was ever like investigated. So it's just kind of like taking that he kind of, yeah, but like it was fine. No, he wasn't, they didn't really think twice it's just ed yeah so then it was ed and his mom and like that's all he had and he was gonna take care of his mom and then she had a stroke one day and she didn't live um but he um held on to the farm and he boarded up all the rooms that his mom used and left them untouched um and like left those pristine even though like the rest of the house was like tra- like kind of became you know it, like a m- single man lived there <laughs> um no clean bathroom there right so he was just kind of like a weirdo in town then one day he went to a hardware store um and the owner this la- woman named bernice warden she disappeared um and the hardware store had been closed the whole day, and they thought it was just because of deer hunting season. They were like, well, she's closed. Like, it's the beginning of deer hunting season. Like, she's busy with that. And um, so then they went in and found, like, blood in the hardware store. Um, and, like, he had been the last, oh, the last receipt in the store was a gallon of antifreeze sold to Ed Gein. So they were like, Oh, we should probably go. Yes, we should go visit uh, old Ed. <laughs> yeah, so he was arrested at a grocery store, and then they went to his farm, and they found her body, Bernice Warden, hung upside down by her legs, and her, it was like she had been, like, her torso was like, it, it was like a deer, like how you, like, skin a deer. Yeah, yeah like, drawn and quartered. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and her body had been decapitated. So, like, that was a bad sign. So then they... <laughs> Whoa! Yeah, that's fine. But... What's de- it's not a- that bad. It was decapitated. <laughs> right. So then they went on to search his house and 
some of the things they found in his house included whole human bones and fry. Okay, if you're squeamish and don't like things like this. I, I'm on. waiting specifically for one <laughs> item because it is the thing that I'm like, what? And so, All right, I'll do that then. <laughs> a wastebasket made of human skin. The wastebasket. Skulls basket. on his bedposts. Bowls made from human skulls. Leggings made from human leg skin. Oh, God, no. Oh, God. Uh, and they would want my leggings because they would fit anybody. Big, big legs. Big legs. And Mary Hogan was another woman. They found her face mask in a paper bag and her skull in a box. And they found Bernice Warden's head and her in a burlap sack and her heart in a plastic bag above his stove. They found nine volve in a shoebox. There you go. Yeah. Nine. Um, nine. Nine okay. of them. A belt made from female human nipples. A nipple belt. He had a nipple belt. <laughs> um, Four noses. And this is maybe my favorite. A pair of lips on a window shade drawstring. Like if you pulled out. Oh, my God. Well, it wouldn't have been nine because you wouldn't have found it. He's like, no, I can't. These are too thin. Like, what is this? This is too thin. Um, I got nothing to work with here. They would use our lips to make the actual shade. Um, So that's Ed Gein. And so it turns out, and like he had been saying that his mother was alive, like acting like his mother was alive, I believe. And like people had reported seeing her like in the window, but like before they knew she was dead, I believe. So then it turns out, like, he was arrested, and he admitted to, like, he would go um, to the graveyard and dig up bodies and take the skin. He was like, but I, but I would always return the jewelry. He would return the jewelry there. See? Um, yeah, because there there is some um, positivity here. Yeah. Okay. So he was trying... <laughs> So he was trying to create, after his mom died, he said he had began to create a woman's suit so that he be- could become his mother and literally crawl into her skin. Oh my God, I'm so grossed out. Oh my God. Oh my God. I know. And does he cinch it together with the nipple belt? Is that? Stop. <laughs> yeah, because that's really slimming. He got, he's got to create a waist somehow. And- and so the only death that he he was charged with Mary Hogan's death. He's admitted that he did shoot Mary Hogan. She was a tavern owner, and um, he said he killed Bernice Warden. But then he was like, I don't remember that. Um, and there's a couple of other cases, including a girl named Evelyn Hartley who was a babysitter in Wisconsin that they believe that he was involved in. But so. That happened, and then there was a man that wrote a book. That was the blotch Blotch. guy. Yeah, and he lived, he he lived like what thirty miles away from when the Ed Gein thing happened. So like, as he was writing the book, didn't it kind of come out around the same time of like this Ed Gein, and then he kind of like published the book, and then. They had known about Ed Gein, but they didn't make it all public. Like, all, like, the nipple belt stuff wasn't public, and, like, the skin suits, that wasn't public. Like, that came, like, after the book Psycho had been out. So it was just like, oh, wow. And then he was, like, freaked out. He was like, oh, my God, that's kind of weird that, like, yeah. I kind of made that stuff up. But, and so he, 
I mean, he was just happy that somebody was going to buy his book, and they bought his book. Alfred Did Alfred Hitchcock buy it himself? Oh, I have that. So, um, because it, where is it? It sold for $9,000, but there was another book around that time that sold for like $63,000. And wow. he was just like happy to like have his book sold. Well, because it because well, I'll get it to in my MVPs because it does the book came to Alfred Hitchcock and like the, again that's in one of my MVPs, um, but yeah, the Paramount execs said no. Well, that's in my mm-hmm. tasting nugget. So yeah, okay. go ahead, go ahead. I'll save that for you. Um, Okay, so I just didn't. I had no idea that that was what I didn't the either. This yeah. is the first time I'm them. hearing it. It's this. one of those weird mm-hmm. things where it was like all happening at this the same kind of time, and so you're just like, oh, that. So, what weird. year was Ed Gein found? 1957 was when the trial was. Oh, wow. And the book, Wisconsin. The, the book I mean, was, was 1959. Are you, really, Ma? You're going to say Wisconsin crime, right now? Because about a lot of people, I bet, are like, yeah, that's fucking Wisconsin. <laughs> Who knew? A bunch of people in Wisconsin. <laughs> I vacationed in Wisconsin around this time. Yeah. Thank God. Thank God, thank God we are, we have been, remember Anatomy of a Murder? It's not Wisconsin, but it was the Upper Peninsula. Yeah. I, I'm shoehorning that all into the same it's regional the same area. Thing. And you know Minnesota? what, Ma? Heavy, heavy German population. Yee, just saying. Uh, heavy German and Viking. Scandinavian pop. Yeah, yeah. Well, I got some of that as well, so. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Wow. So that was crazy. So then Alfred Hitchcock, like, fought, like he started making the movie, and I'm sure you'll talk about the whole they didn't want him to make it. Oh, yeah, I got um, that. And, okay, so about the music, did you mention this before when he wanted it to be silent during the shower scene? I didn't, but go ahead, because yes. And so the guy, Benny and the Strings, Bernard okay. Herman, so, yes. And he was like, okay, here's the string. We're just going to have string instruments. And he was like, yeah. Yeah. And so Alfred Hitchcock at first was like, only wanted it to be silent. And then he was quoted as saying, Benny, you just saved my picture. Um, oh, and then wow. he would say that Psycho was successful 33%, like, due to, like, a third of it was all because of the music. Like, yeah, it was Bernard Herman. Stuff. Yeah, he had the he Hitchcock was like, no, I don't want it to be sound. Yeah, because he had be a nothing. lot of non-dialogue. Yeah, in this film, and Bernard Herrmann was that like, that would have been so much less scary if there was silence. Well, because Bernard Herrmann said, let me take a stab at it. I got a few ideas, and yeah. so he really like knew. He was just like, all right, and then he played it for Hitchcock. And Hitchcock even like, and this is it. This is significant later on when you find out like all the hoops that Hitchcock had to go to even get this movie made. But Hitchcock bumped up Bernard Herrmann's like he gave him more money. Just he, he heard it and saw it. It was like, all right, you're getting paid this amount oh, of money. Yeah, <laughs> here you go. And like Tini said, you just this film is thirty three percent better. And then remember though when we did Torn Curtain. 
how that was their last collaboration because they got into two there was two times where they got into arguments yeah this was the first time with because he was, you know hitchcock was like no i'm not no music and bernard Hume was like hear me out and then on torn curtain and torn curtain that was the finale that was when they went their separate ways yeah, after they that did. they had yeah. the great falling out which i could kind of see because like if you're bernard herman you have that in your back pocket of like, yeah, but remember, I was right about Psycho. So you're not going to back down the next time you feel so strongly about something. You're just be like, I, I'm, the one, I'm the guy that saved Psycho. Wow. Um, okay. And I'm sorry if these are, these, like, Nerd Alerts and Tasty Nuggets kind of blend, but I put Despite. these on this page, so I'm going to say that. Go, go. Do um, it. Okay, so I didn't know that in the 60s or, like, pre this, you just went to the movies whenever you wanted. Like, you were just like, oh, I don't care if the movie's already started. I'm going to walk into the theater. Apparently that was a thing. And you didn't necessarily go at the beginning of the movie. (laughs) How many black people do you know? (laughs) Well, you know what, though? I, I mean... It's <laughs> you're, you're not all. I guess it's just a, a generalization. I don't know. But my husband makes me get there before the freaking previews. For because no I'm his mother. Because <laughs> I'm his mother. Well, apparently, it was a thing. And yeah. So yeah. It, yeah, it was. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I wasn't born then. No. And and why? I mean, does that make any sense? You're going to see a piece of art. And the per- the artist started it at the beginning. You're supposed to be there right. for the beginning. Yeah, but that oh, was it. the meal. You're supposed to be there at the top. Yeah. Oh, but, uh, I well, digress. But that's not so how they looked at it. They looked at it as, as like a lot of people. It was just some, like to kill time and stuff. It was like how we turn on the TV and like we that's just turn true. on the TV. That's it's true. in the middle of the thing. So that's they true. were just they, it was their TV. They were just like, this is where I'm here. Let me just go in. That's true. And it didn't cost fifty dollars to go see a movie, so exactly, exactly. Um, so Alfred Hitchcock was like, went to extreme lengths to make sure that people didn't see the twist that he was actually his mom. Mm-hmm. And so, like, one of the things he did was he had his assistant go buy every version of the like every copy of the book. Um, in Hollywood so that people couldn't read the book oh, and find out the ending. Interesting. Um, but the other thing he did was he like the previews for it were like all and there was like his voice outside of the movie and he made everybody like all the movie theaters. He was like, Nobody can go into this movie after it started. Like you have to be here for the beginning of it. Yeah. Um and it was like people kind of thought we're like hating on him a little bit for yeah. it. So I was like, who does he think he is to be like, oh, you have to be here for the beginning of my movie. Yeah, like um, the theater owners, they were like, excuse me? Like, you're going to, what are you doing to us? They were like, nobody's going to come to see this then. It's right. going to ruin our business. But then on opening day, he came to the, he arrived at the theater and saw that all these people were like lined up around the theater for the movie. Um, so it's because of that that people started getting to movie theaters at the start of the movie. Mm-hmm. Thank you. As it should be. He did mm-hmm. a lot of stuff with the production, like the, the promotional aspect of it. So it was like, uh, and also, because they mentioned this in the documentary again, how 
at this time, by 1960, he had already, he was already Alfred, like people knew who Alfred Hitchcock was and he right. had his television show, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. And so they were familiar with him as like, good evening. And so for the trailer of it, it was just him in like the house and like, mm, that's the bathroom and, and, you know, making his dry, dark Alfred Hitchcock little jokes and stuff. And, uh, so he had that and so you never really saw like anything it was just like oh this is another Alfred Hitchcock and people were were used to him they were used to the show and all that and like his whole vibe kind of thing and then he was adamant like when you see this movie do not tell what happens like wow. don't spoil it for people and so as like soon the as like Sixth Sense and all of those yeah, that came so after that's great like when they, when it's those kind of movies and it and it really works and people are like no like I can't say anything like you need to see it that's great word of mouth because you have to go out and see it then because mm-hmm. you don't want it to get spoiled for you cuz you're like oh it it's that great like I get I guess I do have to go see it cuz I don't want to be the last one that's that's doesn't know that, yeah or that ends up getting it ruined like oh i really wanted to see it and like taking my time like you find that with the internet a lot with stuff is that there's some things where you're just like i just have to watch it as it comes out because i don't the internet and how everything is like i'm probably it's probably gonna get spoiled from me if i don't watch it and i watched it this time from the viewpoint of not knowing the twist Mm -hmm. so that man they really they really gave you a solid foundation of not not being the twist i do have a question because alfred hitchcock makes an appearance in every film i didn't see him in this one oh he's outside he's standing outside when marion comes into work he's for a bus right yeah he's standing outside the the window Okay. Not at the very, okay. like, it's at the beginning. It's not at the, it's after, it's when she goes into the office because he did it because he could work with his daughter because his daughter was on, because his daughter was right. inside. So he's right. there. It is very early in the beginning. And he also did that. He said, because one, he wanted to be in the scene where his daughter was in the same scene. Nice. Also, though, he wanted it because that by that time that had been a thing where everybody was looking for him. And yeah. getting it out of the way early, that was going to help with the rest of the movie. Exactly. People wouldn't be like, going, where is he going to show up? Where is he, he going to show up? So yeah, he, good. You do Got see it. him. Good to know. Do you have any more nerd alerts? Um, yes. Nice. Yes, she does. Four um, pages. So, I just thought this. So, okay. Steven Spielberg at one point wanted to meet Alfred Hitchcock because he was like kind of like his idol. And so there was one point where they were like, this guy, can you just meet, can you just meet with him? Like, he really wants to meet you. And um, he just wants to, like, talk to you for five minutes. And Alfred Hitchcock said, um, isn't that the boy who made the fish movie? I could never sit down and talk to him because I look at him and feel like such a whore. And they were like, why do you, why does, why do you, why? And he said, because I'm the voice of the Jaws ride at Universal." <laughs> Oh my god! They paid me a million dollars, and I took it, and I did it. I'm such a whore. I can't sit down and talk to the boy who did the fish movie. I couldn't even touch his hand. Wow! So then, um, I'm such a whore. I'm such a whore. And I just 
just love that he called Jaws the fish movie. Yeah, because um, I was like, what fish movie? I was thinking the shape yeah. of water. I'm like, he didn't do the nuts. No, what? But I no. also didn't know yeah. that he was the voice on the Jaws ride. I and he got it. paid a million dollars to do that. Are you kidding me? That's Back a, in uh, the day. Yeah, that's a lot of money. Damn. But on the... On the American Film Institute's list of most thrilling films, Psycho was listed as number one and Jaws is number two. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Did uh, Alfred Hitchcock and M. Night Shyamalan ever meet, I wonder? I'm going to say no because Alfred Hitchcock died in April 1980. Because I feel like he was the next one that came with all the twists and turns. I mean, probably not the next one, but yeah. my thinking no, is the Paul, I would... Like De Palma's in there. Brian De Palma is like a huge Hitchcock mm -hmm. fan. I I looked it up because I was like, did I ever? Because okay, after I saw Psycho, remember Ma? I went into a huge Alfred Hitchcock phase. Yeah, because I got you all the all the VHS tapes. Yeah, of all like the early ones, like Juno right. and the Paycock. Like yeah, the first yeah. The Man Who Knew Too Much. All of them. I watched pretty much all his movies yes you did and i was like obsessed with them and i even looked up i was like when did he did did we were we on the earth at the same time and then it turns out because i was born in august and he died in april so then i was like could i be reincarnated right because because ode to purple was very hitchcockian oh i was obsessed like hit like he's the reason why i was like i this is what i want to do oh my gosh yeah. and and how he would because he he had been fucked over so many times early in his career and stuff that he shot movies in his head so he would only shoot what he like he would put the movie together in his head and only shoot what needed to be shot so that it was like a puzzle and the only way that the editor could piece it together was exactly how he wanted it so when the, the you know executives would come in and be like man well can't you go to this shot and the editor would be like we don't have that shot like this is all this is the footage that we have this is right. how it's done and i was just like that's genius yeah oh my you gosh. were so i even like i didn't read but remember i read his biography i read yeah. one of the biographies of him and i was just like well, Screwdriver was inspired by him, right? Everything our dead body was. outline on our front. We had a room. dead body outline for a good two years for Screwdriver, which was the lost murder film that never got made because the footage got corrupted because it was the 90s before digital material. Remember the whole editing setup I had? Yeah. That was based off of UV like rays and stuff. Like there's no scientific way of how this setup should have right. worked. And yet it <laughs> it worked. Puppy was... took you to every pawn shop to get whatever you needed. <laughs> yeah. And then we would have like repairmen come in and the front room had a body outline on the rug <laughs> for two years. Yeah. They'd come in and go, I go, yeah, just, you know, deal with it. Yeah, because it was normal to us, but it was just that. Don't fuck with body. us. That's yeah. all I'm saying. <laughs> Can you imagine? Uh, like, yeah, like everything. The dead, dead body outline downstairs that Christmas. And I thought there were snakes down there. <laughs> I just cried because I was like, I feel so understood. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Okay. We're any more nerd um, alert? One more. Um. So Alfred Hitchcock never won an Oscar. He only won an honorary one. Oh yeah. my yeah. god. Yeah. So he won the Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award. Who? That's the husband of Norma Shear. Shear. Janet Lee. He gave one of the shortest speeches ever. He said, thank you. And then he just came back to the mic and said, very much indeed. And his, basically, people kind of shit on Psycho when it came out. And like, yeah. like the critics, they weren't giving it what it deserved. And like in 1960, Time Magazine called it a creak and shriek, like a gruesome creak and shriek film. But then... By 1965, they had already changed their tune, and um, Roman Polanski's Repulsion came out, and they praised that one and said that it's in the classic style of Psycho. So just in five years, they had like changed their right. tune. But and you gotta look deeper. But also think about that because remember from to tie in the movie we did last week, Alpha Bill, how. You know, yeah, people were shitting on Hitchcock and stuff, but meanwhile, over in France, you had all of these new filmmakers who were film critics who were like, man, Alfred Hitchcock is the shit. He is the greatest thing that probably in film, like he is an artist and all of them and they're spouting it. And then how many times have like, has it taken the French to be, yeah. or you know, like well, Europeans or somebody else to be like, wow, this is actually art. Like this right. is freaking art. Like we're we're European, so we have like a long history of art. We know a little bit about it. Like y'all are Americans. You're new. You think you know everything, but you're kind of toddlers when it comes to this art stuff. Yeah, this guy is the art. So it's interesting to see how ni 1965, you know, French New Wave, that was in full swing, and then you had all of these people who were like, no, Alfred Hitchcock is he is the man. So well, and he was like the reason. I mean, the French New Wave was kind of why he made Psycho because he was like feeling pressure and he didn't really know what to do next. And he was like, "I need some. I need to do something different." And all these French New Wave films were being made, and so that's kind of where he like got inspiration. Yeah, he had the. I I don't. I didn't write down the director, but there was a 1955 French film called Le Diabolique. I butchered that name. But I think it's. It the, sounded good though. The die, oh, Blair. I'm so sorry for that pronunciation. <laughs> um, and how? Yeah, it was in black and white, and he he saw it, and he was like, "These French, these young French guys are coming after my crown. Like, mm -hmm. I, I gotta, I, I ain't dead yet. <laughs> you know, gotta that move." And my very last nerd alert. I promise. Is no, you do as many it, as you have. Um, and I didn't know that it influenced all of these other... I mean, it influenced the whole genre of horror movies, most notably the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, with the skin. But also, just like movies movies with knife killers and Hannibal Lecter. And also Hannibal, Hannibal Lecter. that's all I thought of. Yeah, I would have so been in Hannibal's, you know, little. 
it puts the lotion on because we would get girls you know size 14 16 so that when they lost the weight because he didn't feed them anything it was easier to get their skin off and i personally because i was a size like 14 and stuff so yeah i was definitely and then i was like oh my gosh like i don't mean to brag but i feel like he would covet my color I was Love like, it. oh my no, god! Oh, oh my god! That it looks like a nice tanned leather. No, the Nazis actually used human skin to make lampshades and shit during the Holocaust. I mean, that was a that was real. It would have been luminous. Look at this, Stop luminous. It. Oh yeah, okay. And that concludes my nerd alerts. Okay, so now we are into. Negative reheatables. I will start because I always do. <laughs> and just for a man to call his his mother mother. Yeah. Still, you know? Mm. And then you think of our vice president who calls his wife mother. That's I so mean that's weird. like tenfold. Tenfold. Mother? Okay. I mean Which reminds I, me of I always say I only go mother when I'm like being funny and facetious like mother. <laughs> I would do mother when I was really pissed. Oh, at your mother. mom? Yes. But I don't um, get pissed at my ma. Hmm. Not easily, but when it happens it's really ugly. <laughs> um my another negative reheatable forensics then. I mean, it, it, he committed this murder in the name of his mother and i mean forensics then they could have found out right away easily oh wait okay so martin balsam mm -hmm. detective arbo gast always drives up he is driving an american car so he is on the left side of the car he exits that car on the right side two different times yeah, I've seen that in a lot of older movies because they didn't have the, like, it was the bench seating. It was the bench seat, uh. but still, how is it not easier to get out the left side and go around? You know what? Because I think that maybe people did that because of cars. Like, there's been a lot well, of times where that. I'm okay. like, you know. I just assumed the camera was right there in his way, but. Maybe that too. I found that a little awkward, you know. But there have been of... times when I've been like parked on a street and yeah, I'm like, I've you know what? Well. I really wish that I had a bench seat where I could just slide right on out to the sidewalk. And I've gone around my stick shift before. You know, I, I mean, thinking I'm thinking of parking to go to Portos. That's a perfect time to yeah. have to do that. Yeah. Okay, and all the stuffed birds. It was just, it was too, it was just gross, as it was supposed to be. Um, those are my negatives. I said, couldn't she have found a bigger purse? That money yeah. that she was carried around just sticking out of her purse. I time. have about three right here in my closet that I could have loaned her. Yeah. yeah. And also, no one starts to shower while they're standing and looking in the shower head you know though okay. i have it's Absolutely funny because people no say way. that but i have i have done it it isn't i will say that it's not a normal circumstance but there have been 
like circumstances and every time it's happened i have been like what what's going on how did we end up here where this is happening never warm you gotta turn it on for at least five minutes oh well see i live in california so i don't have that luxury of like just water is i probably have two minutes two minutes max before i get in oh i mean yeah me too i don't waste water at all um no, I I just don't think anybody. Well, sadly, you're looking at somebody who's it's. I understand it because it, it it's one of those things where it makes me laugh. Like, like when people call people who eat ice cream with a fork monsters, it's like. Oh, I've done that. If I have a, don't have a. Yeah, it's yeah. like I've done it, and you know what? Honestly, I kind yeah. of like it. Does make sense? Like you, it does because you get it from the bottom as well. It's less metal, and you're. I'm like. Mm you know and, and yeah. i'm able to make nice even cuts in it so i i can just like go layer by layer and stuff yeah. but if people want to call me a monster for such things i can use a spoon you know it's just one of those things when when you're alone you're like do i prefer to eat ice cream with a fork oh well you're a monster for starting the shower with your with the shower in your face i i have done it before it, like especially uh, also ever, i turn it on and oh my gosh this is this is oh i know who am i but like especially in hotels when i don't understand how the shower works i have found myself in the shower many a time like looking like well how does how do how does this work and, and i'm already and if you're in a glasses wearer sometimes you need the glasses on to figure out how this shower works to be able to get it to even go it's not something I'm proud of, but I just, I have been there. I have empathy. Okay. Those are my negatives. My Aaron? negatives. So piggyback on your whole bird thing, when he petted the bird, because it's just been ingrained in my mind, I'm like, I understand that the bird is dead and you did taxidermy, but germ situation wise, because I was always told that you, like birds carry so many deadly diseases that I was not the child. Like, if there was a sad bird that needed to be cared for and, like, winged back to health, that was not going to be me. Because I was like, that bird has diseases. It is disease-ridden. You got that on both fronts. I am not. That is, I'm sorry. I am very sorry for, for what has happened to you. And I wish you nothing but the best bird. But you have diseases. I grew up in a family I will not touch you. I was a teenager. My sister was five years older. My mother found like a swallow, a baby swallow that had been abandoned in a nest and brought it into our house and fed it like milk soaked bread and like raw hamburger and let it fly around the house until it was able to be able to go out in the wild. But birds are not potty trained. And they just poop where my father and I were so disgusted by this bird named Hermie. So it's Paul. That's where I get it from. Yes. Yes. The disgustingness. It was so disgusting. And my mother and sister were like all into getting this bird so it could survive in the water. How is feeding a bird food that you give it? Moving on. It was so disgusting. So I guess you're the one that told me like birds have diseases. Do not touch birds. 
Poppy was very into that. Don't pick up feathers. Yeah. Don't touch like, birds. I was always taught that too. Yeah. yeah. Like, don't, like none of that. So when he reaches over and is petting the bird, I'm like, what's the disease thing now with that? Right. Like, oh, right. oh my gosh. Right. Avian flu. Anybody remember avian flu? No, because bats were like, excuse us, we're up in here. Okay, my second bad reheatable is um, the cleanup job, because obviously this is pre-luminol. I'm just like, yes. yeah. That's what I was saying. Nice job. Stand. Exactly. I'm like, nice job. You think you mopped it up nice, but you don't know about this thing that's about to come. It's called luminol. Exactly. We're going to light that thing up. It's going to be glowing. Your whole body is glowing. Unbelievable. No bleach. He just wiped it all away. I'm just like, I'm just just pathogens, people. This is, oh, hey. Are we to positives then? Yeah. My positives are forensics now. <laughs> Thank you. Science. <laughs> Thank you. Um, the fact that in 1960 they had a female character who felt entitled enough to run away with the money yeah that's a good point this i loved it because i mean really she's a little secretary in this little real estate firm and she went 40 hell no i'm not putting that in the bank well yeah because the whole thing was like she can be with the man that she the only according to what Sam told her, which is a whole other thing I guess we could get into, is that the yeah. reason that he wasn't marrying her was because he was in debt and didn't right. have the money. And so she's like, well, I have the money. And she didn't feel bad about it because the guy was a creep. And he said he never, what was his line? Something about like, oh, I never um, give or part ways or whatever with anything that I couldn't afford to lose. And that's why right. he was playing. So it's like, well, he obviously it's not going to hurt him. So I can take this. It's and it's her payment for being me too, motherfucker. Yeah. She's just like, um, OK, the non dialogue parts. I loved how many non dialogue parts there were. Show don't tell. Um, The knife noise. Now, not the. No, the, the what is it? Teeny cassava melon. Cassava melon. Yeah. They had to go and buy like every kind of fruit from the grocery store to like to figure out which one is gonna make the right noise. Mm -hmm. And that's and it was. that's part of the like the like the fun thing. One of the funnest things about making movies and cinema is the stuff that you get to do with sound of recreating sound mm -hmm. and and how you get to play with sounds and stuff and and. What is the right sound? And just listening to it and listening to it. It was the and right knowing sound. like that's that's it. Yeah. Flesh. And the shower that was an amazing shower head for the day. Yeah. I mean, it looked like I had really good water pressure. Yeah. yeah. I mean it was it was like a it was like a rainfall shower head in nineteen sixty. I had never heard. Well, but I had a bathtub. And so. they they had to like little like nerd alert, tasty nuggets behind the scenes kind of thing. So, you know, it's one that's one of those shots where you take it for granted of just like, oh yeah, they they got this shot. But 
if you are actually putting a camera, like take your phone and try to like achieve that shot, it's it, the water's going to get splashed on it like how it did in the beginning, right. like, you know, so you can't see right. anything. So they had to come up, they had to plug some of the holes and then they had to come up with the lens and the camera placement so that they could place it at a distance and have everything just right where you're achieving that exact same perspective but that it, it is not going on the lens, like that it's falling away. Yeah. So, see, I didn't even think of all of that. And I thought of her getting completely immersed in the water, whereas, like, a, a pet peeve of mine in movies is when people are brushing their teeth without any toothpaste. Everybody has drips of toothpaste coming down, right? Nobody My, wants to see that. A pet peeve of mine, yeah, is watching people brush their teeth. Like, I don't like to see other people brushing their teeth at all. Right. I don't. But in reality, you're going to have smush coming down. And, and so most people just, you know, use a toothbrush with no toothpaste. And so the fact that she was full on water through her hair, through everything, I... I respected mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. My last one was just motels. I mean, I remember staying in a few motels in my day. And this is your good reheatables? That's your good reheatable? They were fun because it meant we were on some kind of a trip and we didn't do a lot of trips. We always so, used to stay. We didn't, neither did we. And when we would go to New Jersey for our one year trip, um, we would always stay. Always at the Holiday Inn. Yeah, Holiday um, Inn. That's what I'm talking about. But, you might get an indoor pool. Yeah. yeah. But my brother, I don't know how to start, but when he was little, he would just call them home hotels because he would get hotels in <laughs> motels. <laughs> well, but it makes <laughs> sense. <laughs> hotel, <laughs> motel. <laughs> I get it. Home hotel. I'm there with him. I'm with him on that one. I don't know if this is one of those things where, like, it's me looking backwards or just, like, just me, just the the weird things of, like, you know, uh, I know who what my family, like, I never, I don't remember us staying at a motel, and I remember always being glad about that because I'm like, I don't know if our family should be, like, Rolling the dice with staying at some random hotel. Mo I told, mean, motel. At that point, mommy had graduated to, you know, snobbery. Little... Yeah. I, yeah. Because guess, guess what? Guess who wasn't going to like, guess who was aware of the situation and wasn't taking you to a motel? My That's dad. Right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so That's right. it was and like, yeah, we're staying at the Holiday Inn. We're staying at the Days It. Like we're staying at like chained, reputable places, not places who are just owned and operated by Bubba and who no. might not take no. this family that Never happened. Yeah. Because we were going, okay, we're going to go a little upscale if we're going to do it. That, cause, and, and that goes back to the, the slogan that you, when, when Robinson said that we were poor white trash and you stood up and you were like, we may be, she may be poor white trash, but she's upscale black. She's upscale black, bitches. <laughs> because because right. my dad was like, oh, no, no. Whoa. We are we are not rolling that dice. No. <laughs> and your poppy was, if you want me to camp out, you gotta pay me. And he was in the he wasn't what twenty eight years in the military, and I would bring yeah. that. And he was like, yeah, they paid my ass. 
I'm like, no. Otherwise, there has to be room service involved. I need amenities. I need a hot Swiss babysitter. Like, these are the things that I require. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That was a swank hotel. Well, yeah. Okay, other people's positives? Somehow I only wrote down... Oh, go on. Go on. No, I did it. I only wrote down one, and it said Mary's eyebrows... Marion's eyebrows and makeup. Oh. Her eyeliner was great. She uh, did. She, she was. Yeah. Had eyes wide really open. Because her eyes were. Her full face was totally. She has like. Okay. Can we get into my good reheatables? Because I just yes, came up with one off the dome. Would just be Janet Lee's face. How it could be. It was very almost. And I mean as a compliment. Cat like. And like she has big eyes and just how her nose and stuff went and the shape of her face was very cat-like to me. And so like especially she could oscillate very easily between being um, innocent and stuff and also being like very creepy. Like there there were times Mm -hmm. when she was um, driving and it was the voiceover of her in her head doing acting out all of the scenes and stuff and like she would just get this kind of look in her eye that kind of looked kind of cr- almost sinister-y and kind of crazy and how her eyes would be wide and she wouldn't blink them and it it was always kind of like well I don't, it was just very off kiltering of kind of like oh what's going on it, it played off of him being uh, a naive young man and being a sinister man yeah. and her being uh you know like a a young femme fatale and 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 naive but she also had a little bit of playfulness with her sexual sexuality with yeah him. there was more of like edginess because i imagined like oh well what would it have been like if grace kelly was the Janet Lee. And I don't feel that I would have gotten that sort of like, the, cause there's this one scene in specific when she's driving and, and she, and she kind of like just the corner of her lips and her eyes go up. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't think that I would have felt that way if it had been Grace Kelly. I felt that I would have just been like that she, like I just would have been on her side and I wouldn't have had that. Like who is, is she like, can she break can this woman break bad like is she does she have this dark sinister edge to her where she's like excited by this turn of crime that she's into and the time when he brought dinner and she was like come into my room and he's going come into my parlor and she's like yeah i yeah i understand you're too naive to come into my room ha 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 yeah it's just weird how like that like, I think she was perfectly cast in that. Yes. Um, uh, great. Voyeurism. I mean, we did Rear Window, and that's always a thing with Hitchcock. And it's just, it just, you just see it so much. But it's because it's, it's just so human and how so yeah. many shots are point of view shots and from this point of view and from this point of view. Right. And even like the God voyeurism of like going down and how it works. And, and that's one of those things where, how many things in filmmaking, if you really ask the filmmaker, was that because, oh, you knew that it was the God point of view and that's why you did it? Or that's the only shot that they could have done to hide who exactly. it was. Yeah, to we be. talked about yeah. that last week. Yeah. yeah. 
what was purposeful and what was fortunate mm -hmm. and and it's crazy how because all because it's all of it is a chain reaction norma sheer sees a picture of janet lee and yeah. that's how she becomes janet lee john yeah. gavin is signed to be james bond but united somebody at united is like sean connery is a bigger star and you know just how that plays out i already mentioned the music cue when she walks i mean the music in the shower scene also it's great okay when albertson is in and he's like sitting on the desk and he's uh flirting with her when he does the um because the, the boss he, he kind of seems like a teetotaler and he says something about the drink and he's like why don't you hook up that bottle you have and he goes i always laugh at how he does that how he does the like because he's so girly and and like being bad but he's also being like this old creepy flirtatious man and i'm like look at both things being true like it's hilarious and creepy at the same time um, oh, that reminded me of one that I had that I didn't write down because it's not politically correct. Mm -hmm. But Anthony Perkins walking up the steps of his. Yes, I always. And I went, that is the walk of a gay man. It was. Uh, yeah. That, they... that butt is cinched. Yeah. It, there was so much sway to his hips. I always, like the very first time, I rem that always stuck out to me, even the very first time, was just how he walked up the steps like that. And I was just oh, like, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Which is totally stereotypical. And I apologize to my gay friends, but that was but my But it, it is. His hips are doing a lot of work. They were working. I was just like, I haven't... That's an interesting way to go up the stairs. And, and clenched then, at the same time. Yeah, and I was like, maybe I need to start, when I go up the stairs, loosening up the hips a bit. Like, <laughs> focus on... Focus on my core yeah, a little bit Yeah, all right. Um, I always laugh at this cut it's right after arbogast meets his demise and it just cuts to norman bates in the swamp again and he's just standing there i always laugh at that i just think like the and i know that like hitchcock was like like i know that tickled hitchcock because it's it just cuts and you already know like Norman had to clean up everything, put right. it in, and is it everything. when the car when the car stops going down? No, because that was that was the the first scene, like you know. Okay. So that was like the first cleanup, and we saw the whole thing. And then this is after Arbogast gets killed, and you just see him like be killed and die. And then you cut, and you don't even see the car or the body or anything. All you see is. Um, no, I think actually John Gavin's Sam comes and he's yelling for Arbogast and it cuts and you just see Norman Bates standing at that spot just like without a care in the world, just looking at it. And so, you know, he's already gotten rid of the body and stuff, but it's just a cut where it's one of those great things where it's visually tells you everything you need to know. Norman Bates cleaned up the body. He did all of that and he's this just standing right there. This is when Pop-Up Happy Hour happened. Oh, and so I was cut away from the movie and I was pop up, pop up. And then I came back. And so anything that happened after that is happenstance. Oh, at this yeah, point. that it always makes me laugh because he's because just, just the way he's just standing there. Yeah, he's just yeah. very 
Like, and ah, he'll just what stand I do. there with a, with a non-expression on his face. And then at the very last moment, have one lip and one eye go just up a touch. Well, yeah, because he hears somebody yelling for Arbogast. And that's the guy that he just put in the swamp. So, right. Um, I already mentioned Hitchcock's fear of cops and how, like, hey, he was... He's kind of on to something and stuff. And, you know, she didn't get shot when she turned her back to the cop and went into her purse. Non-blinking Janet Lee, we already discussed. I already said how pretty Anthony Perkins is and, like, John Gavin. I was like, why wasn't he a huge star? Because that man was, jeez, he was attractive. Um, I already made the thing about the sandwiches, how I would have been in. I was like, well. He did say sandwiches. Yeah, but then the sandwich was a disappointment. Move on. It was a disappointment to you. It wasn't to me because I wasn't sure that it was craft singles and it was white bread and butter. So I'm in. I have a very I I love sandwiches of all kinds. Okay. I was I've always been very impressed with how she folded the money into the newspaper. Like yes. she did it and, and she didn't even like redo it. It's like she knew how to strategically place the money into that newspaper. Yeah, I would have had to do that multiple at least times. Three times. Mm-hmm. At least three. I think that Norman Bates's voice work as he's being his mother was quite impressive. Yes, agreed. Because agreed. It, it definitely, you know, but then you're like, oh, but it was really a woman, but. Like, if you're overthinking it, but obviously within the, the constructs of the heard. movie, like, people, yeah, and other people weren't like, that sounds like a man pretending to have a conversation with himself. Like, they didn't do that. No, no, you didn't think that. The trunk space and the swamp space. That's true. That's so true. much space to get rid of. I loved when the car stopped mm-hmm. and he was like, shit. And then, wait a minute gurgle 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 yeah and like finally my my last reheatable it like i'm not gonna give alfred hitchcock a whole bunch of like props in uh like you know he never had i don't even remember him ever having any black people really in any of his films or anything so but i do think that this movie is interesting because it's 1960 and it is kind of almost like a wake up America. Like mm-hmm. you think that all of these things don't apply to you and that you were safe. And they mention it again in that documentary, how if you go back and look at his movies before World War II, how he was like, you know, basically saying like, yo, the Nazis ain't nothing to fuck with. Y'all think that you're over here being safe and that it's it's all good and stuff. But no. And I sort of think, like, he was just, you know, kind of ahead of his time of, like, hey, there's, you know, you think that, that you just have this nice life, that you won the war and everything's all hunky-dory and stuff, and there are all these undercurrents and there's all this stuff that has always been there, and you're, you, you're not ever safe, really. And you think that, you know, that your whiteness and your prosperity and your middle classness can protect you and it can't and i i kind of think that that's it was pretty interesting how he's like hey wake up like 
violence is around the corner and it's it comes from it doesn't come from the place where you necessarily think that it's gonna come from so welcome to 2020 mm-hmm. quotables okay i did some in my retelling i like the quote let's all ta- talk about marion my favorite it doesn't gel. If it doesn't gel, it isn't aspect. What's aspect? Okay. So I only know this because my aunt fancied herself as quite a, a culinary person Is back in the day. And she would make tomato aspect, Alma. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, because she was high class culinary. And so it was like it was like a tomato jello. Aspect is like a jello thing. It was nasty, nasty. But yeah, aspect yeah. is like a jello. If it doesn't gel, it's not jello. But aspect. Um so what I'm supposed to do is just sit here and wait. And he goes, yeah. Oh, that was Vern. That was Lila when when uh, Sam was gonna go yeah. see what happened to Arbogast. I helped Norman pick out the dress she was buried in. It was periwinkle blue. That, that was the sheriff's wife. Lila, who's that woman buried in the in the Greenlawn Cemetery? If he sees us, we're talking the. We're taking the air. Oh, yeah. We're just taking the air. If he sees us, we're just taking the air. When Lila and... Um, Sam? John, yeah, Sam. Were, if he sees us, we're just taking the air. And I also wrote down not exactly, and I don't remember what that's <laughs> in reference to. I was like, he's just like, not exactly. That's a quotable. Not exactly. It was such a quotable at the time. <laughs> Don't have any reference to before or after, but watch the movie and you'll go, not exactly was a quote. I'm going to put that as the quote for the, you know how I always do a quote, not exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, others? Well, speaking of, I'm not sure what this means or where it's from. I don't know if the quote is, I'm dying of thirst, and then I wrote irony. But the way I wrote it, it looks like I wrote, I'm dying of thirstaroni. <laughs> thirstaroni. Wait. And I don't know. Is that a thing? Like, I put my quotation after thirstaroni, and I wrote, thirstaroni is one word. Yes. Carrie. And I was like, that's me all the time. Yes, Carrie, I'm dying of thirstaroni. It was in okay. there. Yes. Who said it? I don't know. I just like, have the quote. I, Carrie, I'm I, dying of thirstaroni. Ah. I think it was like the office scene. Um, and then Or Lowry. Was, oh, no. It, yeah, it was um Albertson, the guy who was like, ooh. Because how I was oh, saying. Yeah. And he's like, Lowry, I'm dying of thirstaroni. Oh. I like that. And then I also don't know when this was said. I don't know if it was then. I think it was. What you need is a weekend in Las Vegas, the playground of the world. 
I knew you were yeah, going to. Yeah, that would totally yeah. I didn't write that down you. because I was like, Teeny's got that one. Yeah, Teeny's yeah. got Las Vegas. No, those were mine. I've already done my other ones. Good. Um, I have, yeah, but when you do, you'll swing. As in when she gets married. He's like, yeah, yeah but when you do, swing. you'll swing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I already said the thing about, like, Teddy was furious when he found out I took tranquilizers. Um. <laughs> My favorite is like I declare. He's like I don't. That's how I keep it. That's how I keep it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, when Caroline said, I guess he noticed my wedding ring, and you know, there's always like a mother's, a son's, son's best friend is his mother, and the whole yes, thing. Like I don't see anything wrong. With I him. wouldn't hurt a fly. And but my favorite thing from this is I've said it as before is when they go to the sheriff and they calls up. He's like, yeah, we're looking for a. Was it an Arbogast? Arbogast. <laughs> so I I always call Arbogast Arbogast because the, the sheriff is like Arbogast, an Arbogast. LVPs. I'm going to say when a son talks about his mother using the word mother, or when a husband talks about his wife using the word mother, even worse, Mr. Fence. Um, I went with, um, transphobia and perpetuating that, um, obviously like this and silence of the lambs, it's all about, they do hurt people like men dressing up as women and they automatically hurt people. Right. Oh, that's a good point. Now JK Rowling's new book is about a man who dresses up as a woman to harm people. I really? That's her thing. next yeah. book? Yeah. Wow. wow. Oh, look what just came Oh, nice. I got it based on you. Nice. Good. I want to read that. Cast. Cast. The Origins of Our Discontents. Nice. You look your prize-winning author. That's kind of disappointing that J.K. Rowling's is just doubling yeah. down so hard on that. But yeah, so that was my own. Yeah. Aaron, LVP. My LVP are the studio readers at Paramount Pictures, and because oh, um, yeah. idiots. Yeah, they they read the book Psycho and they passed on it. They were like, no, we can't. Do- this can't be turned into a movie. Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. Good on you. MVP. I have an honorable mention. Well, I have two honorable mentions. My first is the non-dialogue part of the film, because that's a huge part of the film, mm-hmm. where no one is speaking. Um, okay. So my my real MVP is Anthony Perkins. Yeah, and if you want really to delve good. into it a bit, go to the part where his jaw is twitching, where his jaw twitches when the, is it the private eye who's talking to him? And it, it, that jaw just keeps twitching. Yeah, when he's at the, because he's like, oh, have you had her marry? Oh, well, let me look in the book. And he doesn't want him to yeah. look in the book because yeah, he knows that exactly. she signed the book. Anthony he, Perkins' yeah. entire uh, presence on screen is amazing. He was really good, and it it sucks because I feel like he was so good that then he was only Norman Bates after that. 
Yeah. Like he was so good yeah. that he couldn't agree get any other parts and stuff. Right. It's just like oh. right. Okay, Teeny, MVP. Um, I said killing the star forty minutes in mm -hmm. because we never expect that to happen and like you're always like oh well no matter what happens like she's got to live there's a star exactly um, that's i thought that was the end of the film and like in the in 7852 when they were talking about like you know we see that in like game of thrones where mm -hmm. dies in the first season yeah it always but yeah i thought that was my favorite yeah because because janet lee was a big time star so you weren't gonna it's like Oh, you're watching a movie with Regina King, and then she gets taken out the game like 40 right. minutes in. You're like, what? And we still have half the film left. What are we even gonna do then? So my honorable mention is uh, the editor George Tom Tom and how oh, man I I hear it in my head Tomasini George Tomasini and music by Bernard Herman. Because those two guys yeah, really killed it. Um, I have another co-MVP is the crew. I think it's Shamley. I could be saying that, mispronouncing it. But the whole, like, Alfred Hitchcock's, Alfred Hitchcock presents TV crew. Because they were pretty much the ones in it. I'll get to that Tasty Nuggets. Shout out to them. They killed it. But my true MVP of this is Alfred Hitchcock's longtime assistant, murderino peggy robertson because she was the one that read the psycho book and brought it to hitchcock and was like yo man this you yeah, need to make this movie this. and Excellent. hitchcock took it to paramount pictures and paramount pictures wasn't having any of it because the lvps who were the studio readers they had read it and said that it wouldn't be a suitable film and I'll pick up what happens later in the uh, Tasty Nuggets. But Hitchcock was very, you know, he was very much, um, you know, like he didn't trust a lot of outside opinions and what should be made movies. You know, you can imagine people always pitching things to him. Oh, he yeah. trusted his wife and he t trusted his assistant, Peggy Robertson. And it's just crazy how if Peggy Robertson hadn't been like a murderino and had read about this book, I think she was even reading because the guy was like into true crime, the guy that wrote it. I think he had mentioned it. So it's very much kind of like this whole like Peggy Robertson was like on a blog post basically and happened to come across a good review of this book. It's called Psycho and read it and was like, yo, Hitchcock, you got to check this out. And then, yeah, like Teeny said in her nerd alert, she was the one that Hitchcock sent out to buy up. She's like, you got to buy up all these copies. You, you We got to keep this. Excellent. So, murderinos, get the job done. Mm -hmm. We are to recasting, and I believe this is the first week I have ever not done a recasting because I was told the youngins were taking over this podcast. Well, well you know I never do a recasting. Yeah, Teeny never does a recasting. I was... I was going to, but then like Gus Van Zant did a shot by shot remake of this in the late nineties, maybe ninety nine, mm. maybe two thousand, and he cast Vince Vaughn as Anthony Perkins, and mm. just out of out of uh, like, yeah. like Vince Vaughn, he had.
has his place in like what he does well right and right. being norman bates was not one of them his stature alone and i was just, just like, too large of a character and then okay. there there was that television show i forget what channel it was on oh, bates motel yeah i watched the the first couple vera vera or formiga something like that and Um, yeah that freddie kid he was like the good doctor he was the one that played norman bates and i thought he was a pretty decent norman bates so it was just so we feel like it's been done yeah, we don't need to and things. also part we of it. You could do a better job, but I didn't put in the effort. Part of it, which is in my good reheatables of this that I neglected, and I'll just say now, is because I think part of what made this film so great was that the limitations that were placed upon Hitchcock because of the different censor codes and censorship. Yeah, and I think that that's why now, like the sour. I think that's why in the the remake that the shower scene, because it was shot in color, how it didn't work as well. And also because like now that murder, I think that people would go into a in a different direction of it where it like it would be more graphic and it would be more almost kind of maybe realistic in a way or something like the the closest person that i would trust to it and be intrigued it would be like david fincher because i just think of like how mindhunter mm-hmm. operates and works mm-hmm. and and just i think that that because you couldn't see a lot and show a lot how they had to do a lot with editing and imply it that mm-hmm. and also because that that was the thing that it could be first. It could be the first one to like break the mold and kind of be early. And now we've had 60 years of cinema since then. And it's, it's like, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube in a way to do it. Like it would have to be like a different, just a different way to it. So then we are to tasty nuggets. And I didn't do any because I, I was told the youngins had this under oh, I control. I do have this one under control. There we go, uh, teeny. So I did see that the other move, the other book that sold. So Block sold Psycho for nine thousand dollars, but the same year or right around then, House of Haunting Hill sold for sixty three thousand dollars. Oh, oh, bummer. Um, so yeah, and like there was like this whole thing where he just never really saw any. He never reaped any benefits of Psycho the movie. Uh, Hitchcock? Um, no, the guy who wrote the book. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, the blood was Bosco chocolate syrup. Mm-hmm. Really? I used chocolate syrup in my in my in one of my college short films. It was in oh, black and purple? white. No, stunted. Stunted. Okay. There had never before been a toilet shown in a movie. Mm-hmm. Interesting. A yes, so that was very risque. Um, okay, I've, I have a couple of tasty... I do have a couple of tasty nuggets about the remake. Because mm-hmm. talking about how bad the remake was, it won two golden raspberries, one for the worst remake and one for the worst director. Wow. Um, Anne Hesch was nominated for the worst actress, but she lost to the Spice Girls, which really makes me mad. Oh. They should not have won worst actress for Spice World. Um, 
And they said the only reason to watch the movie was to watch Anne Hesh be assassinated. <sighs> I, I think yeah. that it, it's one it's of those so things. So many people hating on Anne Hesh. Yeah. And like I remember at the time when it came out, like they're doing a shot by shot remake. Like I was kind of like, well, I have to see it. And I did see it in the theater. It was one of those things where, like, when somebody does something, you're like, "Man, they're gonna co- like they're gonna come after you for this." And it's not as bad as people made it, but then it's also like, "But why?" But I kind of understand from Gus Van Zandt's point because it would be super nerdy and cool to like do like remake do shot, shot. shot. Yeah. yeah, like that was just for him to do it and. I don't, it, it was nothing to do with the audience and it, it's like, well, it exists and you can kind of see it, but it, yeah. I don't, um, yeah. Okay, so in the movie, um, Marion Cranes, okay, so the car is pulled from Swamp in the final scene. Uh, Hitchcock had to, cl- had to spend $150 to get the engine cleaned. And then the cars, then there's the car, sat for, and sat until 1998, when Halloween H20 was made, and it starred Jamie Lee Curtis, the daughter of Janet Lee. Oh my god, really? Janet was also in the film, too, playing a character named Norma. (gasps) Oh my gosh! And her last scene is walking to a car, and... In the soundtrack, you can hear part of the psycho music. And the exact 1957 custom sedan from Psycho was there. That was the car she was going to. And the plate had the same plates. And the plate was NFB418, which stands for Norman F. Bates. And the F stood for St. Francis, who is the patron saint of birds. Whoa! Mind blown. So Hitchcock paid, it was only $150 to clean the engine. Yeah. After it yeah, submerged. Can you imagine? Wow. Jeez. Amazing. That's Oh, that's nuts. cool. That was good. And and we have all of that because of Norma Shear. <laughs> yes. Yes. And yes. She played a character named Norma. Norma. I love it. That's nuts. Okay, Aaron, your tasty nugget. Okay, so, um, like I said, uh, Hitchcock's um, assistant had Psycho, and you know the Paramount Studios were like, no, we don't, we don't think so. Like, why don't you make another North by Northwest, Hitchcock? So, um. You know, they said no, they didn't want to make it. So then Hitchcock said that he would pay for it himself. He was like, all right. Because, okay, first of all, Hitchcock said, all right, look, what if I shoot the film in black and white and I use my television crew from Alfred Hitchcock Presents? Because that would be cheaper and black and white is cheaper, so it'll be cheaper and we'll make it. And Paramount Exec said no. So then he said, all right, how about... I pay for it. I film it, film it at Universal because that's where he was filming um, the Alfred Hitchcock Presents show. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's Shamley Productions. It's it's in the credits, so that's what it was under. And 
once I pay for it and we shoot it, then Paramount, you just distribute it. Like, you know, put it out into the theaters. And and so they were like, mm, I don't think so. And he's like, all right, what about all of that? And instead of the $250,000 that I usually take for my fee, you guys keep that, but you give me a 60% stake in the negative. Ooh. And so then they were like, all right, sold, done. You can go make your little movie. So that's why, like, the director of photography, he didn't have a whole bunch of film credits because he was the TV director of photography on Alfred Hitchcock Presents. He was working in TV, doing all that stuff. And it's kind of really cool because the TV people, like, he used all of that, like, the sec de decorations, all of that. That was from television, from the TV production, because he was making these Alfred Hitchcock Presents and stuff. So this was, like, a nice, well-oiled machine that he had going. Um, so black and white, it was also to cut cost. It was also because the shower scene would have been way less gory because the chocolate mm -hmm. syrup plays better than seeing the redness of the blood. And mm -hmm. also, as I had told you before, 1955's French film, Le Diaboliques, apologies, Blair again, that was shot in black and white. And that guy was coming to snatch his crown and Hitchcock was like, I ain't dead yet. <laughs> um so Sal Bass, I already mentioned how he did the titles. He he actually also storyboarded the complete shower scene and there is this It's funny how there's this this uh thing going back and forth between cuz I guess some people were like, "Oh, Sal Bass directed the shower scene." Um and people are like, "No, I was on the set, Hitchcock did it." But it's like when you look at the the storyboards for the shower scene that Sal Bass did, it's actually spot on, but it's, but that's filmmaking. Like you need, he, Sal Bass did an awesome job and contributed to the shower scene. Yes, definitely. Also Hitchcock took the storyboards and I'm sure the Hitchcock and Sal Bass both worked on it. It's just these like two guys like with the egos. It's like, yeah, like, you guys both had to do and put in a whole bunch of stuff to make this whole thing work, you know? Because it, it, it's just but it, it's just funny how, like, oh, it's Hitchcock. This is Hitchcock's greatest. And it's like, yeah, he got help from Sal Bass. He got mm -hmm. help just like he got help from Bernard Herrmann. Just like there was probably some guy that we've never heard of who was the one that came up with the idea to plug the different shower holes and stuff. Like, filmmaking is like yeah there's the auteur the guy that's in charge of it the director or whatever but it is very collaborative and there's always different people put, like hey why don't you do this and you know that guy doesn't usually get credit for it because yeah it's the director but you're all pitching in because you're part of a team to make the best thing that you can make um and so the the that documentary 7852 that is actually in reference to 78 shots and 52 cuts Ah, and this is just a, a tasty nugget because I was very kind of jealous, but then I was just like, ah, that, like just a great idea. Teeny, did you see it in the documentary when the guy, he was a sound guy and he had the tattoo of the sound wave of the sound cue of Bernard oh, yeah. Human, Hermit? And I was like, yeah. that's such a cool tattoo. Oh my gosh. Yeah, cool. So. I just wanted to shout out that. I don't I don't forget who it was, but he has the sound of the heat. I think it's the heat. Oh, wow. Like what the sound wave is, and it's tattooed that's on his cool forearm. Tattoo. And I'm like, that's a badass cool tattoo. Yeah, that yeah, is. That's cool. 
Oh, okay. I did. I, well, I forgot one. I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. Please, no. Did we already talk about her? So she, like, they filmed the whole shower scene and that whole long time where she doesn't blink while she's on the floor. We didn't and talk then, about it. Okay. There's a really long time where she doesn't blink on the floor and she can't breathe. And then, like, Hitchcock was showing his, was that his wife, Alma? Yeah. And she was like, she blinked. And Hitchcock was like, what? And she was like, yeah, she blinked. And um, so, like, there were two things. A, Hitchcock was, like, not feeling the film before. I think this was before the music was put in. And he was about to just use it for his TV show because he was like, this isn't even that good. Oh, so we're wow. just going to use it for the, we're just going to, it's going to be an episode of the TV show. And I think it was when the music was put in that he was like, never mind. But then for this scene too, instead of going back, they couldn't go back and refilm it. So when she's laying on the floor, you just see it cut to the shower head again. And that's why it's because she blinked. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, and because I had seen the documentary before I watched it this time, so I was kind of, because the first time I watched it, like, it wasn't the shower and, like, the stabbing scene. Like, yeah, that got to me. But the thing that, like, fucked me up was was the shot of her eye and yeah. and the drain and how it was just, like, done. Mm -hmm. And the music with that, I, like, that was the thing that, like, really got me. And... When you watch it, you can kind of like they did a cool optic thing. And then you do kind of see her. There is kind of a little bit of movement, but it doesn't take me out of it because I sort of felt like even if she wasn't completely dead, like yeah, she was what happens when you die. She yeah. Dying. Yeah, exactly. Like it was like even if it wasn't like completely like, flat like she flatlined. Which would be it was even more Yeah, freaky. and that's kind of what what I thought made it a little bit more freaky was that it was obvious that it wasn't like they just did a cuz you can tell in movies and stuff when they do a, that still and then move yeah. out and stuff and how there was just like a little bit of slightly like movement and stuff and how you're just last, like she's just dying the yeah last amount of life exactly in her. that yeah. that i thought was so disturbing mm -hmm. so that's all i have for real okay i think we've done a really good job with this film hey it's one of my all-time favorite films because it's just nothing like what i expect it to be even when i i've seen it so many times it always still surprises me oh and i completely forgot i i saw something this time that i never had seen before at the very very end when they bring the, they're like, you know, and they go in, they're like, um, he feels a chill. Can we bring him the blanket after they've yes. done all the exposition and stuff? And they bring him the blanket and he's sitting there and he does the whole thing, like the voice of, of a mother and like, I wouldn't hurt a fly. And when it goes in into his face and he looks up at the very end, they do a slight superimpose of the dead mother's face because you could see her teeth. Oh. And I had never noticed that before. I was like, wait a second. And I had to rewind it. And you can just see it very faintly how they he put like the dead mother's yeah. face like underneath it super subtly. So it makes it even creepier. Because that always creeped me out. He has a yeah. touch of the smile, but the, but it, it was like it was always like that 
it always like the first time I saw it, it's that totally creeped me out. And then when seeing it this time, and I've seen this movie so many times, this was the first time I noticed that they superimposed underneath the dead mm. woman's face because you could see her all of the teeth. And I was mm. like, that's freaky. Mm. So this it's just one of those movies where you there's just a, it's like an onion of layer so many upon layer. To see. Yeah. And and the black and white photography is is so beautiful. I looked it up cuz it was it was nominated it was nominated for fit for um best cinematography black and white. It had a bunch of different nominations, but it didn't win best cinematography black and white. They, in the 1961 Oscars, that was the year of The Apartment. So The Apartment won, you know, Best Film. And The Apartment is a great film. But the we winner... The Apartment. Yeah, the winner for Best Cinematography. Here are the nominees. The Apartment, The Facts of Life, Inherit the Wind, and Psycho. The winner was Sons and Lovers by Freddie Francis. Who ever heard? I've never heard of that film. So... Wow. Because I was always shocked by how sharp and crisp the image was and like it's i mean i i feel like the whole film really is a reheatable and that it is especially if you're into true crime and murders and stuff how it's just a i i did i watched the whole film it was never like what time is it how much more time do i have what's going on i was just like oh it's done already so yeah and and i don't yeah go back and watch it again because i don't remember a lot of it It, and this is what made me want to make films like this seeing this movie it was nothing like what i thought it would be it launched me on this whole thing of if hitchcock it's got everything like if you want to make films it's got everything it's got the show don't tell it's got the editing it's got the music it's got the sound effects everything well good job aaron thank you (laughs) So next week, we're going to go back because it is September and somebody's going to respect all the <laughs> appreciation rate. That's right, motherfuckers. I was we're wondering. going back to old blue eyes himself. Are we doing we're going back Hombre? To 1963. Is it Hombre? Uh, teeny, one hour, 52 minutes. It is not Hombre. Okay. An hour fifty two minutes, so it's an it's an epic. Are we doing? We had an Academy Award winner, actress from this film, Patricia Neal. Oh, Patricia Neal! Who I never understood with the thing with Paul Newman, but okay. Patricia we... Neal was also in the crowd. That the okay. movie, remember, a face in the crowd. Okay. Yeah. Remember, because yeah, Patricia Neal has a crazy story where she was like dead and like yes. came back and was like, I ain't dead. Yeah, there's a whole lot, but but we're going with a Paul Newman 1963 H one word title HUD. HUD. Uh, cattle Ranch in Texas. Oh, we are getting our... Oh, it's going to be all dusty next week. It's going to be dusty, but it's going to be... We're going to end September with Paul Newman, motherfuckers. I respect it. I respect it. Thank you. Enough with this arty shit. Enough with film school. Lots of film school the last couple weeks. Thank you to those of you who still appreciate school. I'm going with Paul Newman. You're welcome. You're going with Beefcake. That's right. 
And so we hope you've enjoyed our Psycho 60 year anniversary. I want to thank the youngins for taking over this week and doing a good job. I mean, Christine was excited. She can she like watched the movie on Tuesday. Listen, I watched the movie, a documentary, and a six-part podcast. Damn, Damn, girl. Yeah. Nerd alert. I actually did my homework. Yep. I am the nerd alert for this <laughs> She is totally nerdy. She should have been week. the M- she's the MVP too. The two-week back-to-back MVP. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Gotta yeah, gotta gotta give it where it's deserved. Well, there you go, listeners. Bye.